this episode, Justice League number six, cover dated October 1987. And welcome to the sixth episode of Justice League International Wahaha Podcast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. My name's the Irredeemable Shag, and I'm your host, but I'm not flying solo. Every single episode, I'll feature a different guest host. My co-host today could be described as having multiple personality disorder, given his devotion and passion for so many different superheroes. In each conversation, you can't help but wonder, today am I chatting with Captain America Dave? Or is this Superman Dave? Or perhaps it's Hulk Dave? Or is this X-Men Dave? Or maybe even Daredevil Dave? Or for our purposes today, could it be Captain Marvel Dave? Folks, please help me welcome Mr. J. David Weeder. Welcome to the Embassy, Dave. Thanks for being here. Um, it's good to be here. I got a ingrown toenail, a sore knee, but you can you know me, I can't complain. <laughs> Apparently you can. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, Dave, I was struggling this morning getting dressed. I was thinking, what should I wear today as I get ready for work? Because I work from home, so I can wear comic book t-shirts. Yeah, folks, that's right. My wardrobe for the office is comic book t-shirts. And I was going to wear my JLI shirt since we're recording tonight. And then I thought about wearing my Dr. Fate shirt, but no, sir. In honor of you, I wore my Captain Marvel shirt. And ironically, mine is not clean. Mine, which I bought in Midtown Comics on Times Square. Oh, that's awesome. When I, yeah, I was hanging with the freaks. Actually, my, my Wilson Fisk bobblehead, my Funko, mm-hmm. I bought in New York just so I had a Wilson Fisk from New York. <laughs> well played, sir. Well played. <laughs> but in, in lieu of not wearing my Captain Marvel shirt, A, I have two shelves of Captain Marvel merchandise to my left, and I have my superpowers Captain Marvel standing in front of me. Very nice. So it's era appropriate. Surrounded by friends. Perfect. Perfect. Yes. <laughs> I gotta tell you, during during dinner tonight, it was took quite a while to explain to my ten year old daughter why Captain Marvel wasn't called Shazam. <laughs> And I wasn't even going to go into the whole New 52 thing. She kept being bothered that he couldn't say his own name. But anyway, that's a whole different story. Before we get too much further, why don't we take a second? We should probably thank our sponsors. Folks, this episode of the JLI Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Now, each episode, we're going to select a collected edition to briefly discuss from InStockTrades, usually to be tied to that month's JLI issue in some way, shape, or form. And my pick is a little comic called Planetary Brigade. And this was published by Boom Studios, written by Keith Kevin and Jam Dimateus. Woohoo! Now this was a spin-off actually of a book they did called Hero Squared. Sadly, Hero Squared is not currently on in-stock trades right now. It's a bummer, but seek it out. You will find it. There's two trades of it. It's a fun, fun story. It's sort of like a Captain Marvel story, actually, with a little bit of JLI humor in there. It's a lot of fun. And this Planetary Brigade is sort of the superhero team he's part of. It features Captain Valor, Grim Knight, Mr. Brilliance in there, the Third Eye, the Mauve Visitor. (laughs) It's a hoot. You guys should definitely check it out. Find Hero Squared at your local comic shop or order it online, but then get Planetary Brigade from in-stock trades, folks. It is a lot of fun. Cover by Matt Haley, Keith Giffen, and Julia Bax. Page count 128 pages, full color. Normally retails for $14.99. Right now, at the time of this recording, you can get it for 30% off on in-stock trades, only $10.49. Now, Dave, as the guest... Did you happen to bring an in-stock trade selection? You didn't have to. I did indeed. You did. I did. Good for you. Yep. And it doesn't tie into this week's JLI beyond the fact that I'm here. 
And uh, way to go, Dave. I picked Daredevil Epic Collection, the Touch of Typhoid Collection. Ooh, it's basically a lot of the Anacinti John Ramuda Junior run, introducing Typhoid Mary, which I haven't gotten to on Dave's Daredevil podcast yet. But it collects two fifty three to two seventy in Punisher number ten. These epic collections feel like almost the perfect amount of reading because I read uh, I've done two plane flights the last year and it was almost perfect. Mm. And this material is, I don't know how to describe it, it's twisted, yes. is what it yes, is. Yes, it is. <laughs> In a good way. These epic collections run about $39.99. Your price, $21.99. 45% off for some a solid, solid Daredevil work. I also have to give it my recommendation. This is actually where I cut my teeth on Daredevil. My first issues were the Anacenti John Ramona Jr. issues. Such a good run. Oh, my gosh. I love this so much. Folks, you really should pick this up. Because a lot of people don't, when they think of classic Daredevil, they don't think of Anacenti's run, you know? But it, it really is deserving. It's so good. It's it's very underlooked, and I just remembered the story of you with the, the, the pastor coming over to your house and trying to hide the Daredevil issues. I was sure he was going to see that Daredevil comic, and I was going straight to hell. <laughs> well, every now and then wearing a Daredevil shirt, I get a look. I'm like, read the Bible. It doesn't look like that. Right. Well, nowadays, people know the, who he is, which is crazy. We live in a world where yes. people know who Matt Murdock is on the street. Blows my mind. Folks, for this and all your other trade paperback needs, please visit InStockTrades.com. All right, folks, as we're going through this show, get on the social medias, chat with us, let us know what you think, tell us about your favorite Daredevil moment, or tell us about JLI if you'd rather, because, you know, that's kind of what we're here to talk about, Dave. Way to go with the Daredevil promotion. <laughs> Use the hashtag FWPodcasts, if you would. That's the hashtag for our network. We'll be able to find your comments and communicate with you. You can also find the show on Facebook and Twitter under JLI Podcast, or uh, on Facebook, I guess it's Justice League International Blahaha Podcast. You can tag us both there, and we're getting lots of comments on every single episode. The really is a great collection of JLI fans that are sort of meeting through the podcast, and I want to keep that going. Let's bring the JLI fans together to let DC know we want more JLI content. In fact, Dave, I forgot to t- I forgot to mention this, and this is going to be old news probably by the time you guys hear this, folks, but they just recently announced they're doing a Justice League International Breakdown Street paperback. I actually did not hear this. Yeah. I have to look it up. I'm talking off the cuff here, folks. Forgive me. Uh, it may even be a hardcover, but it's it's a giant collection of the uh, breakdown storyline. So there's a gap there. We've got the first six you know, trade paperbacks. Then there's going to be a gap, but then they've collected breakdowns. So we're getting close. We almost have the whole thing collected. So I can't wait. I'm definitely ordering it, obviously. I'll tell you what, folks. I'll do some research on it, and when we get to the feedback section, I'll give you all the details. Well, now we get to the point of the show, which is quite honestly my least favorite because it's boring and I don't get to talk very much. So it's where we're going to have a chat with a guest. We're going to talk to Dave here. And Dave, I'm going to ask you the same questions I ask everyone who comes onto the show. What is your personal origin story with the JLI? How did you discover the book and how did you fall in love with the book? Now, I just want to preface this. As you start talking, I'm probably going to leave and go find something more interesting to do. But please go ahead and tell the people at home. Well, I understand this is your bathroom break, so just make sure you have something to read. Um, this The issue we're talking about this time is actually where I fell in. We lived in this little bitty house. When I talk about my perch on Dave's Daredevil podcast, this was the little white house we lived in. No air conditioning. The summer was horribly hot. So we got a, a, a motel room for the afternoon just to try to cool off. And I got to pick some comics from the grocery store spinner rack. And this was one of them because, surprise, surprise, Captain Marvel is on the cover. And this actually became one of the first books I followed because, you know, I'm working off spinner racks mm-hmm. and I just fell in love with the tone of the book. It spoke to me and I was about 10 at the time. 
And I just love the grouping. I loved what happened next with the – well, I don't want to spoil that yet. But yeah, don't, don't be stealing further guest thunders. <laughs> Gee, you come on the show and you just hog it all, Dave. But uh, this and DC Star Trek were some of the early early stuff I actually had some sort of run built up on. Wow, so you had to get a hotel just to get some AC. That's wild. Now, was this in Missouri where you, where you are now? Or? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was in Missouri. We have relatively humid summers. Mm-hmm. And uh, this one was just, I mean, normally we were tolerable. It was just, we were used to it, but this just got really heat advisory hot. And we, yeah, it's not like we had a lot of money, dude. Well, no, <laughs> we were... you know, there's, there, there may be something to this. There, there's something magical, at least for both of us, about hotel stays in your own hometown. I had to stay mm-hmm. in a hotel uh, in my hometown because our house was having some work done when I was about 12, somewhere in there. And my just like you, my, my parents bought me some comics to basically shut me up. They bought me Who's Who. It was the first Who's Who I ever got. <laughs> and let me tell you, I devoured the crap out of that thing. And now it's become a pretty big part of my life. And for the, if you, those of you listening don't know, I do a podcast based on Who's Who. And it all came from that hotel stay. So that and, um, that and Marvel Saga. If you want to shut a kid up, put a copy of Who's Who and Marvel Saga in their hands. There's so many words in those comics, they'll read for hours. <laughs> who's Who. You know, i got to admit, Shag, when I heard Who's Who was coming, I'm like, how are you going to make a show out of that? And you did. And wonderfully so. Oh. You and, and Rob. Let's give Rob a little bit no, of credit. We don't have to do that. Okay. It's all me. But thank you for that. That's very nice of you to say. It's I'm not going to be any nicer to you on this show, but it's very nice of you to say. Well, I'm, I'm not going to put on pants either, so. Damn! Oh, another guest with no pants. What is it with you people? All right. So I think I already know the answer to this question. But who are your favorite JLI characters? And try to narrow it down to maybe anywhere between one to three. I know, I'm pretty sure I know who the one is, but let's see. Well, you would know who the one is if they had an extended run. But uh, as far as the, the long-termers, it's hard to beat the blue and the gold. Yeah. Blue Beetle and Booster Gold are just the, uh, the perfect center piece for any team of this era absolutely now mr miracle and barda come close but they they don't they just don't seem like they're matched as well as as scott or as a booster and and ted are okay so so you're quantifying just so i'm clear i'm assuming captain marvel is your favorite character in this issue but you're quantifying Mm -hmm. by saying those who had a longer run Okay. Yeah, because it's well, I'll get to this when we talk a little bit more about Captain Marvel and his place in the DCU at this mm-hmm. point. But it's hard to really put any real stock into this version of Captain Marvel. Oh, interesting. OK, I thought you were totally going to go for the Yaz, but, you know, you threw me a loop. So that's OK. That's OK. Well, I've got my Nort tattoo on my left leg. <laughs> You know, the sad part is I don't know if that's a joke or not, because <laughs> you have a Red Tornado tattoo. I know that, right? Yes, I do. I do indeed. Do you really have a North tattoo? No, I don't really have a oh, North okay. tattoo. <laughs> you were going to win an award right here and now, sir, but I no way. You're not getting anywhere close now, because now you've yanked that excitement and that thrill away from me. So thanks for that. If I just kept the stern, emotionless Tommy Lee Jones face going, <laughs> I totally would have won an award. I don't care. All right. <laughs> On that note, folks, uh, in, in my utter disappointment, I think we're going to go on to our next segment, a segment I have to call Monitor Duty. And this is where we talk about other comics on the shelves the same month that this comic was released featuring JLI members. So Justice League number six was on the shelves on July 2nd, 1987. Thanks to Mike's Amazing World of Comics for that information. And other titles featuring JLI members on sale in July 1987. Let's start off with sort of a, we'll start at the top level, which is the whole team made a guest appearance in a little comic called Fury of Firestorm. Number 64 in Firestorm Annual number five by John Ostrander and Joe Brzezowski. This was the Justice League and Suicide 
Suicide Squad, trying to stop Firestorm from going all Superman 4, Quest for Peace. Oh, is that the sequel to the Howie Long movie? Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It okay. came out beforehand, so it was really more like a prequel to the Howie Long movie, but yeah, they're totally connected. Well, time travel. Yeah. And if you want to hear more about these issues of Firestorm, you should check out the Fire and Water podcast on the Fire and Water podcast network. I hear one of the hosts is dead sexy. And also over on the Task Force X podcast. And the other one is Shad. Ugh! And then over on the Task Force X podcast, our buddy Aaron Head Moss covered these issues already, and he had a guest host on that issue that I think I heard was dead sexy as well. So, Well, Tom Panarese was on that episode? Damn it, I hate you so much! I've been looking forward to podcasting with you for years, and this is what I get? Some days I just wake up and I'm like, I want to taste your tears. I wonder if one of the guys from Back Issue Magazine is available. I could just re-record this whole episode and no one would even know. Huh. <laughs> I have to think about that. All right. Uh, then there's Who's Who Update 87. Number three was on the shelves, which uh, featured characters from the Justice League, Gray Man, Kilowog, and the Justice League themselves. Uh, again, you can hear more about that on the Who's Who podcast. Now, let's get into the current members of the JLI. Other books that are on the shelf. Batman number 412, featuring Max Allen Collins, Dave Cockrum, and Don Heck. And this was Batman versus, that's right, The Mime. <sighs> Given the creative team at this point in their careers and that foe, I can only imagine that comic is as good as it sounds. So, uh, if you'd like more Batman excitement, you should check out the BatmanUniverse.net. Lots of great podcasts over there featuring Batman. Good thing mimes don't do podcasts. <laughs> they do. It's just not all that interesting. <laughs> Detective Comics number 579 was on the shelves with uh, Mike W. Barr and Norm Brayfogle. Oh, Norm Brayfogle! Yeah. Hooray! Uh, featuring the Crime Doctor. Then Batman also appeared over in Outsiders number 24, by Mike W. Barr and Trevor Von Eden. They were battling a Soviet baddie named Fusion, who was after the President of the United States. I have to look at my Outsiders history. I don't know if Jim Aparo was off the book at that point or not, because for the last several months we've been talking about it, he hasn't been there. Hmm. Action Comics Annual number one. Yes. The, oh, he's on Okay, there we go. This features Batman and Superman battling some vampires, written by John Byrne with pencils by Art Adams and inks by Dick Giordano. I have never read this comic, but oh my god, Art Adams and Dick Giordano on an exactly. oversized book <laughs> in the 80s. I need to read this. I'm from Based on your reaction, I'm guessing it's as good as it sounds. It's just gorgeous looking. I love Art Adams so much. His X-Men, it defies the X-Men for me. And this this cover, just look at the cover. It's, it's that beautiful all the way through. Yeah. I mean, for me, Art Adams will always be the New Mutants special artist. I mean, just, you say he Ooh. defined the X-Men, he defined the New Mutants for me. Oh, so incredible. Him and, and Bilson Cabbage, obviously, but still. Uh, if you want more on this era of Superman, you should check out the From Crisis to Crisis podcast with one of the hosts is Michael Bailey, who was on a previous episode of this show. I know that guy. I've heard of him and maybe even got horribly stinking drunk with them a couple of times. But anyway, um, <laughs> Blue Beetle number 17 by Len Wein and Paris Collins. I've got my Daredevil by Paris Collins on my wall. Nice. Blue Beetle fights Overthrow. If everyone loves Highlight, you remember him. And Dan Garrett returns for the first time in his first post-crisis appearance. If you want more on Blue Beetle, you should check out the Court Industries blog by another former guest of the show, Tim Wallace. Booster Gold number 21 was on the shelves by Dan Jurgens and Ty Templeton. This is Booster Gold versus... The Aliens from Dimension X. Okay, so two issues facing Rainbow Raider, and now Dimension's um, Aliens from Dimension X, and people wonder why the Booster Gold Volume 1 got canceled. Hey. Just saying. You can get more on uh, on Booster Gold on the Silver and Gold podcast. Then you get Dr. Fate number 4 by J.M. DiMatteis and Keith Giffen. So good. Love this miniseries so much. This is the final issue of this, and there's actually a bit of a wait for the ongoing series till that gets rolling. If you want more on Dr. Fate, you should check out the Lords of Order podcast. Then we get to another amazing book, Green Arrow, The Longbow Hunters, number three by Mike Grell. 
Another final issue, such a great series, so powerful. This features the aftermath of a very savage attack on our JLI member, Black Canary. This is actually the story that pretty much causes her to eventually leave the JLI. It's very sad. If you want more on this story, Green Arrow Longbow Hunters, you should check out the Warlord Worlds podcast, where they cover Mike Grell's stuff, and the Power of Fishnets podcast, featuring uh, Black Canary by Ryan Daly, former guest host on the show. Then we get to the future members of the JLI. Captain Adam number eight is on the shelves by Carrie Bates and Pat Broderick. And is Pat Broderick drawing Plastique again? Hot dog! Because he, you know, he was the first artist to interpret her over in Firestorm. Plastique nurses Captain Adam back to health. And this actually begins her slow reform and begins their romance. So you check out the, again, Aww. more Silver and Gold podcast. Silver and Gold, by the way, that represents Silver being Captain Adam and Gold being Booster Gold. It's a podcast that teams those up with our buddy Jay Jones and Roy Cleary. Then, over in Action Comics number 593, you get Big Barda. She appeared in there by John Byrne. This is part two of Superman and Barda make a porno. And I wish she were making that up. I really do. Well, I'm only saying it so boldly, really pretty much to piss off the aforementioned Michael Bailey, because it really gets under his skin. But anyway... <laughs> I know. There's, there, we've talked about this uh, storyline quite a few times, and we'll be talking more about it in the feedback because people got their hackles up when we talked about it last month. Then uh, Hawkman number 15 was on the shelf, future member there, by Dan Mishkin and Richard Howell, and features the murder investigation uh, from last month we talked about. It continues. And if you want more on Hawkman, you should check out the Being Carter Hall blog by our buddy Luke Giaconetti. And I had a couple of picks here just because, well, these are my, my people, my books. <laughs> the Flash number 5 by Mike Barron and Jackson Geis. For as odd as the Mike Barron run was, this was the oddest. (laughs) (laughs) We have the first appearance of Speed McGee and plus Tina McGee. Speed McGee, although it sounds like a country band, they should be jug, you know, whistling into jugs. It's actually the husband of Tina McGee, which gets awkward because the Flash is kind of stooping her. (laughs) That's right. Our boy Flash is doing a married woman. (laughs) I'm sorry. I have trouble seeing a problem with this situation. She still looked good. She made an appearance on Psych, and, and she is, uh, what's the word? Hot. Dude, you know she's in the Flash series, right? What? Yeah, I know. Okay. I, I was I was yeah, there. She's beautiful in that still. Unbelievable. She's a uh, yes. lovely woman. <laughs> you know, I fell in love with her with the Max Hedrum show, which I think was before the Flash. Oh, yeah, 88. And same here. It's the accent. Pitter-patter. Pitter-patter. It's the yeah. whole package, sir. But <laughs> if you want to hear... <laughs> If you want to hear more about this, you can go to the Myth Making ETC podcast and the Flashback podcast. And then my personal pick, one that I think everybody should read because it's it's easily available in omnibus form and it's freaking gorgeous and great storytelling. Wonder Woman number nine by George Perez and Lynn Wein. A, the team should tip you off that this is high quality. This issue actually had Cheetah showing up. And I read that omnibus cover to cover. Freaking love this run so much. And then I, I hopefully Diablo Frank uh, loves it too on Diana Prince Wonder Woman podcast. <laughs> well, bear in mind now, Dave, uh, everyone just heard Diablo Frank on this show doing the annual last, uh, last month. So they may not be so interested in listening to this right away. They probably need a little breather. Diablo <laughs> Frank's best taken in small doses. But. Yeah, but some, some really great, this is a great era for DC. I, I so love this era because I was looking at these. I'm like, yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a shame that Wonder Woman really didn't get more time in the JLI. She showed up for what, like it, half an issue with Justice League Europe till the, the Wonder Woman uh, editor editorial office yanked her. So she n- yeah. never really even got to do much. I mean, I think she appeared more in like crossovers featuring the Justice League Europe than she actually did in the Justice League Europe book. As I understood, they basically said, I'm paraphrasing, so if I get this wrong, forgive me. I want to say I read an interview where Keith Giffen said that the Wonder Woman office didn't want her sullied, his words, not mine, uh, by the Justice League franchise. Ooh. Ouch. Well, that's and if you read the Justice League Europe books, she shows she shows up literally at the very end of Justice League Europe number one. Like all the stuff's happened, she shows up like, "Hey, what happened? There's a dead guy here," and then she like doesn't.
doesn't show up again. <laughs> so she's like the, the the small, the younger sister from Family Matters. She goes upstairs and disappears. There you go. Perfect. They forget about it. They write her out of the series. Exactly right. All right. You know what? This is actually the perfect point. Why don't we take a quick podcast promo break? I'm going to grab some more Diet Mountain Dew, and then we're going to get rolling here, folks, covering Justice League number six. I hope this podcast promo has Conway Twitty references. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, doing the new promo, do not say take the dare. Do not say take the dare. Okay, go. Hello, darling. Nice to see ya. It's me, J. David Weeder, the Conway Twitty of podcasting. But please, call me Dave. I host a show called Dave's Daredevil Podcast, where I talk about Marvel's Man Without Fear and Netflix superstar Daredevil. But I'm here to tell you that things have changed. Don't worry, I've still got more hornhead goodness than you can shake a billy club at and a desperado love for Daredevil. And episodes of the show still come out each and every Sunday. But now, Dave's Daredevil Podcast is part of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. That's right, the show can now be found at twotruefreaks.com, home of Earth's mightiest podcasts. And if you haven't tried the show before, I see the want to in your eyes. So take the time to check out Dave's Daredevil Podcast, because sometimes you need a podcaster with a slow hand. Dave's Daredevil Podcast, every Sunday at twotruefreaks.com. Dot com. Take the dare. I have no self-control. All right. Here we go. Lion face, lion face, lemon face, lemon face. Lemon face. <laughs> All right. And folks, we are back. Just before we get rolling, as we start to talk about this issue, if you want to see some of the panels and pages from this comic, head out to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. You'll go to the JLI show, and it's firewaterpodcast.com slash JLI. And you'll see a couple of different posts for JLI number six, and one will be called a gallery post. And there I will post several of the images from this comic. You can check them out if you can't dig yours out of your parents' garage from their lawn boxes or in your basement, or maybe you sold them or your dog ate them, whatever pathetic excuse you've got for not digging out your issues. I will provide the panels for you. That's right. I will spoon feed it to you people. Oh, I swear. All right. Some people pay extra for the spoon feeding, you know. <laughs> Not touching that one. <laughs> Justice League number six from DC Comics, cover dated October 1987. Cover price, 75 cents. That's right. Three shiny quarters. Cover by Kevin McGuire and Al Gordon. And what a cover it is. Dave, why don't you tell the folks at home about it? We've got my boy Captain Marvel, and he's he's got his face in shadow, but he's borrowing Superman's red eyes of anger, and he's lifting this boulder above the head of Martian Manhunter, and he think he means business because it looks pretty nasty. <laughs> great quote, possessed by the power of the Gray Man. Actually, it's not that great of a quote, but uh, the imagery uh, is really. amazing. He looks like he, I mean, really, they show Martian Manhunter. He really looks like he's in a position of weakness there, and he looks like he's gonna you know, Captain Marvel's gonna smash the crap out of him. Oh my gosh. This, I mean, just looking at this cover, that's why I had to buy it. A, it's Captain Marvel, and B, Captain Marvel is, well, he's kicking ass, is yeah, what he's doing. Right. <laughs> it, they even managed to make that silly little cape look tough. <laughs> that's right, I call Captain Marvel's cape silly. Oh, okay. You you like you like the Prussian army? Because that's where the cape comes from. Ouch! Okay, fine. I just called a whole army wussies. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, I mean, they they'll, they'll, they can find you. Sure, they probably can, if they still existed, but... Time travel. <laughs> So, all right, question for you. You mentioned mm -hmm. the the red eyes of anger. Now, first of all, Captain Marvel doesn't actually have heat vision, but it just it's effective no. for the cover. Had Superman done the red eyes of anger at this point yet? 
Was that a thing yet? Yes. I think that there was one annual with Alan Moore for the man who has everything. And for the love of Pete, I can't think of the actual annual number. Uh, but that's the first time I remember seeing the Red Eyes of Anger was when Mongul had invaded his his sanctity gotcha. mentally and physically. Okay. All right. Well, it's, it's very effective here. And it is mm-hmm. very creepy. And it, is, it's a, it serves a, two, a twofold. He, you know, obviously he looks angry, but it also sort of suggests possession, which is nice. Yeah. I, I love it. Act now and get a demonic possession. <laughs> I love the, those <laughs> bogos. They're the best. <laughs> All right, man. Why don't you take us through this? Um, as far as the credits, we have plot and breakdowns by Keith Giffen, with a script by J.M. DeMatteis, penciled by Kevin McGuire, inked by Al Gordon, colored by Gene D'Angelo, and editor was Andy Helfer. Our story is entitled Massacre in Gray. Hold on just a minute, sir. You skipped the letterer. Bob Lappin? One of the most critical components of the Justice League series is the fact that he can fit all those words in those tiny little bubbles. And you skipped them. Way to show respect. Well, I thought Bob was assumed. <laughs> Well played, sir. Well played. <laughs> yeah. As far as the breakdown, we begin with the Creepers showing the assembled members of the Justice League the current conditions of Stone Ridge, Vermont, which can be described as something that Goya would paint. And if you don't know who Goya is, Google it. <laughs> but despite the gray man's handiwork, the League has teammates somewhere in the architectural nightmare, and they are going in. In Stone Ridge, the gray man monologues about being trapped by the Lords of Order and how he is now free to spread his gray selves throughout the world. But nothing ruins a monologue more than the Justice League charging into town. Luckily, the Gray Man has an ace in the hole. Captain Marvel, as in Earth's Mightiest Mortal, is under his control. Out in the streets, the League is holding their position, waiting for the Gray Man to make his move when the Gray Man makes his move. (laughs) And he does this in the form of an attack from a possessed Captain Marvel. The first targets are Booster Gold and Black Canary, who get a quick and unexpected trip to the sky, which is fine for Booster. He's got a flight ring, but not as good uh, for the flightless, ironically flightless, Black Canary. So Batman dispatches Mr. Miracle to the rescue. He grabs Dinah and Martian Manhunter is dispatched to take on the possessed Captain Marvel. Scott's rescue is pretty simple. John, however, has a challenge. Cap and the Manhunter have a knockdown drag out fight in the streets that would make Zack Snyder blush. Too soon? Yeah. But this strains the Gray Man's control. But as John winds up to deliver a haymaker punch, Gray Man releases the hold on Captain Marvel, who gets knocked the F out right through a wall. And that takes him off the board. I'll take it from here. We're at the halfway point. The story shifts elsewhere, where we join Maxwell Lord in conversation with, wait for it, Hal Jordan. Except this isn't really your full-on Green Lantern kind of Hal Jordan. This is sweater tied over his shoulders like he just did a guest spot on the Newhart sitcom, Hal Jordan. They're having a disagreement. Imagine that. (laughs) Hal's concerned about having a a loose cannon-like guy on the team. Hal questions Max's judgment and states there's a lot riding on Max's big idea, whatever that might be. And having guy in the middle of it's going to screw it up. Max explains he wants Hal's help, not his opinions. Max pretty much dismisses Hal, both figuratively and literally, and we get a hint that something might not be quite right with Max when he thinks, we never make mistakes. Emphasis on we. Now, back in Stone Ridge, Vermont, the Justice League catches up with the Creeper, who has located the Gray Man inside a local movie theater. There's a nice little moment there where the Creeper brags about his own detective skills, frustrating the heck out of Batman, because Batman couldn't find the Gray Man. Inside the theater, the Gray Man and Dr. Fate are locked in mystical combat. The Justice League find out the hard way that the Gray Man can still deal with them without quitting his battle with Dr. Fate. Dozens of Gray Man doppelgangers swarm the Justice League. All it will take is one touch from a Gray Man to stop the League members with their dream essence drained. And after some deft dodging, the Gray Man finally catches up with one of the Leaguers, poor Booster Gold. While Booster collapses, the Justice League joins Dr. Fate on the stage, and the Creeper wrestles with the primary Gray Man. Fate conjures a spell to protect the League and trap the original Gray Man, while the remaining Gray Man doppelgangers surround our heroes outside of the protective bubble. Now, the Gray Man is more powerful than anyone expected 
respected, and he makes quick work of the remaining Justice League members and the Creeper. So that just leaves Dr. Fate to face the Gray Man. Trying to prove his superiority, the Gray Man insists that he is Dr. Fate's, quote, master. It is at this point where Dr. Fate decides he has had enough of this guy's shit. Fate explains that he pities the Gray Man and that he's been holding back this whole time in order to help the Gray Man. But now, Fate sees the Gray Man as beyond help and takes action to rid the world of him. This is Dr. Fate when he's in the office, folks. From outside, we see the entire building, the, the housing of the entire building, the movie theater just simply vanishes. Martian Manhunter stands outside where the theater stood moments ago. He ponders what Fate could have possibly done with the building, then grabs the unconscious Captain Marvel and flies him away to safety. Next issue, Justice League International, a 38-page special that will change the league forever. Woo! So what do you think of the issue? I have loved this issue for so long. It's just, I mean, to be, this is, this is a great issue to immerse in because it just gets progressively worse for the league. You have to come back for next issue. Right. Exactly. I remember opening this to the Creeper. Mm-hmm. I had just had been introduced to the Creeper in Secret Origins number eight, ah. which was the Golden Age Green Lantern issue because I remember picking that up because who the heck is this Green Lantern guy? That's not the Green Lantern I know. Anyway. <laughs> I've never understood the Creeper, and maybe I've never seen him in the right context, because you you see Creeper pop up in Brave and the Bold and here, and he doesn't quite fit that mold. I've never understood the Creeper. I completely agree. I said it last month. I just don't get him. Yeah. I've tried. I've read some different stuff with him, but I, I can never get to the point where I like the character. I sort of enjoy him being in guest appearances. I like the chaos he brings sometimes, but for the most part, I don't get him. It just doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> But when you when you open this first page beyond the creeper, look at the faces. Mm-hmm. And, you know, by the end of this issue, I became a Kevin Maguire fan because look at I mean, you look at Mr. Miracle's face, Blue Beetles. These are real human faces. Absolutely. This was beyond what was on the stands at the time, oddly enough. Um, and then you turn the page and, and there's the, the Barbie Hell on Earth playset <laughs> available now at Toys R Us. Does it come with a car? <laughs> It's got a Corvette. It's not pink. Right. It's got it's got demonic eyes for the headlights. Technicolor. Yeah. <laughs> but this design is again, it's ahead of anything you would see on the stands. McGuire is one of those people who the people who are aware of him know what he's made of. But I don't think he gets enough attention. I don't think he gets enough praise. He's an amazing artist. And and sorry, folks, I'm I'm repeating some things I say almost every month just because I can't help it. But this is still really early in McGuire's career. I mean, this is issue six of Justice League. He hasn't done much before this. And yet he's turning out work this amazing. It's it's astonishing that he came out of almost nowhere, out of the gate, I should say. Not out of nowhere, but out of the gate doing this great. And that cityscape. Well, he he progresses, too. Because if you've ever read Captain. America's uh, Adventures of Captain America. Oh. He's phenomenal on that issue, on that series. It, it is like one of my biggest heartbreaks that he didn't get to finish that. It is mm-hmm. so good. I mean, if he had finished that, that would be one of those great collected editions that people would still be buying every year. They Marvel would just keep re-releasing and everyone would buy if he had, had to finish it up. It's that good. And you talk about uh, the cityscape, and uh, it's very you know it's very H.R. Geiger is what it looks like to me. And it, mm-hmm. this isn't the type of stuff McGuire usually draws either. He doesn't. He's not usually called upon to draw crazy weird stuff. He's he's the expression guy. He's the human form guy, that kind of thing. So this is really a bit of a stretch for him, and yet he pulls it off. It looks really sharp. Now, since we're talking about Stone Rage, I will mention, in honor of you and your strange <laughs> obsession on the Daredevil podcast, I did try to find out if Stone Rage was a real place. And if it was, I was going to figure out geographically where the movie theater would be that would have played the Living Daylights and, and named the street and all of that business. But uh, alas, Stone Rage, Vermont is a fictional location. So, Oh, you let, yeah, you called it obsession. You know what? When I was in Manhattan, <laughs> I was able to navigate. <laughs> 
strangely enough, I've spent that much time that I kind of had a bearing. Not all the time. Luckily, Paul Spataro was there to guide us, a native. Right. I was well aware of where I was. It was kind of surreal. That's one of my – folks, what I'm hinting at is one of my favorite features on the Dave's Daredevil podcast, where when Daredevil appears like in a, in a building or goes to a location or whatever, Dave usually takes the time on Google Maps and whatnot to figure out where in real-world perspective that is or how long it might have taken him to get from point A to point B. It's really quite fascinating. It's a it's a fascinating trip down um, – well, insanity, really. But uh, still, it makes for fun podcast listening. In episode 89, when I come back in October, uh, actually for the first time I was mapping something that was in an issue and I'm like, oh God, I've walked there. I walked right past that. <laughs> well, I was going to go, I was going to go further with this. If I could find it, I was going to look up the bug entries and who's who, figure out how fast it could go, how long it would take from New York to get to Stone Ridge and the dit, the dit that I was going to do all that and it just it all fell apart. Well, unfortunately, DC's Who's Who isn't quite Marvel Handbook of the – yeah, you know what I'm saying. That that handbook thing. This podcast is over. <laughs> you shall not speak ill of Who's Who, especially in comparison to that you know lesser pamphlet known as the official handbook of the Marvel Universe. The one that has addresses for everything that I use? I'm sorry. I thought the reference was clear. You're breaking up. Are you going through a tunnel? <laughs> So anyway, back on point. Uh, I do love, right on the first page, we see Batman's symbol is drawn beautifully. Uh, in previous issues, we sort of had talked about how Kevin McGuire had not been drawing the bat symbol to you know promotional style guide perfection. He'd been adding some extra little points on the bottom. Well, I've noticed throughout this issue, it looks like that has been resolved. The bat symbol is perfect from here going forward. And uh, I think that is it's also reflected in a poster we'll talk about later. Well, and speaking of Batman, naturally, we're going in. You know, the whole, the whole world stacked against us here. Naturally, we're going to go in because we're the Justice League, not the Justice League Detroit. Oh, why does everyone think this is a safe place to bash on Justice League Detroit? It is not, sir. I love Justice League Detroit. I know. Okay, you care, clearly. All right, thanks for that. <laughs> you know, it's funny. You mentioned the humor. This issue is chock-a-block with some really great one-liners. And given the sort of like not quite end of the world. Well, yeah, it is end of the world. End of the world. Yeah threat going on, the humor still works really well. And, and personally, I think Black Canary's got the best lines in the issue. It just seems like everything that comes out of her mouth is a great soundbite that I can just hear clearly in a sitcom. It is hysterical. Best lines, worst costume. Really? You hate this costume this, too? This version is so terrible. Oh. Who doesn't hate this costume besides you? Well, Chris and I argued about this last month, and I said, basically, I realize it's sort of the mom jeans of superhero costumes, but I still think she looks <laughs> hot in it. I think it, I mean, McGuire draws it right in the right places. She's a beautiful woman. She can make a burlap sack look beautiful. I'm, I'm in favor of it. She's hot. She looks like she should be leading a jazzercise group. That's, I do refer to it as a jazzercise costume. So, mm -hmm. what do you think of Kevin McGuire drawing your boy? Drawing what? Okay, uh, Captain Marvel. I thought you said a boy. I'm like, well, <laughs> I'm like, where are we going with this, Shag? Uh, let's, why don't we try that again, Dave? Um, rethink your answer this time, maybe? I think he does a really great Captain Marvel that does capture the idea of Billy Batson being behind those eyes. Okay. Because it really does look like a grown man. It's Tom Hanks in Big. Mm. Something only Tom Hanks could pull off, where you really do believe that's a 12-year-old in a in a 30-year-old man's body. McGuire makes it work. I like that. That's good. Yeah, that's a nice way to put it. Have I mentioned that Gray Man gave me nightmares? 
I well, how how appropriate? Really? No, you have not. No, that night when I read the cost the, this comic, I had a I had a dream that he was pursuing me. Oh, and him in his members only jacket, and it actually scared the piss out of me. Well, he's got that like just regular guy you could see on the street sort of creepiness. That's part of what makes him effective. He's got not got some you know ridiculous Doctor Polaris you know giant horns coming off the side of his head as a bad guy. He's just some guy that you'd see at the mall, and that's what makes yeah. him so creepy looking. He's like if, if Mr. Roper from Three's Company got demonic powers. <laughs> you know, when you say that, I can kind of see Norman Feldman's eyes here by Kevin yeah. McGuire. <laughs> Come and knock on our door. <laughs> now, speak- Hell's going to interrupt on you. <laughs> Speaking of little art touches, I love when uh, it's time to go rescue Booster Gold and Black Canary. They send Mr. Miracle out there. And I didn't notice this before, but Mr. Miracle loosens his cape. When, mm-hmm. when he's in a hurry, he flings the cape off, which makes sense because it would just create drag. And zooms yep. off, and later on he puts it on. It's nowhere in the dialogue. It's only in the art. I thought that was a really, really clever touch, and I didn't know if that was maybe just a Kevin McGuire thing, or maybe Keith Giffen put it in the breakdowns. I don't know, but I really like that bit. It's a good detail, and it's, it's little touches like that that put him above, because you get the physics of this. The cape is flying off. You get why he's doing it, and it's not, hey, look at us. It's such a natural thing. And that's that's kind of what's kept me reading the book now. Mm-hmm. Coming back is all the little things that I, I didn't catch as a, as an eight or what was I ten eleven somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Like right now, I I buy into the the gray man's loneliness, his isolation. Mm. It was something I didn't see in the character then, but I'm like, I kind of see how that could twist somebody. I'm not quite sympathetic, but I, I understand the path that that had, the toll it would have taken on his mind. Oh, it's interesting to see how he's tortured he is with this. And knowing as if you've read like issue seven, which most of us have at this point, but listening mm-hmm. as he's screaming at Dr. Fate, Dr. Fate keeps trying to tell him something and he won't let Dr. Fate talk in this issue. And having read issue seven again, you're like thinking, if you just listen to him, it explains everything. You feel bad for the guy because he really does feel completely lost, completely adrift in life. I mean, centuries by himself with no one to listen to him would drive anyone. I mean, I go 15 minutes without someone listening to me. I go nuts. The cat doesn't cut it either, by the way. Oh, really? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned the humor. There's one line that just stood out so badly to me. Badly or hilariously? Not in a good way. It's basically Blue Beetle saying, what is this guy from Mars? In reference to Martian Manhunter, I'm like, a little too on the nose, a little over the top. There's a lot of that sort of stuff in here. Yes, that was one of the jokes that was cute, but it wasn't stellar. Right. And and when whenever I read these, I always think, okay, what's going to get the Bwahaha Award? And like I hit that joke and I'm like, ah, that one. It's not getting it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and they use sort of the same joke twice in this one too. And this is, these aren't knocks, folks. Don't don't get me wrong. I mean, I love this comic end to end. But you know, when earlier on when Batman's talking about, he's like, "We're not dealing with a common criminal here, Beetle. This gray man's taking down Doctor Fate. I say he's capable of taking us all down." So Beetle goes, "So naturally, we're going in there." And Batman's like, "Naturally," which is funny. It's cute. But <laughs> then they do the same joke again later when Beetle when Booster's talking to Batman and they're getting ready to go fight the gray man. Booster's going, I agree with Beetle, Batman. Sorcery and super heroics don't. Batman? We're going in, right? Batman's right. <laughs> so it's, and I don't know whether it works better as a callback to the previous joke or it's just the joke used one time too many. I'm not sure. That one also didn't sit well with me. I, I like the, speaking of jokes that Batman's do for a joke according to Black Canary. Right. When Booster Gold accidentally becomes a master strategist. <laughs> 
And the thing is, when you think about it, Booster Gold's not wrong. How? Because basically, they're trying to 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 get Gray Man to engage. It's like, well, let's wait right here and wait for him to come to us. What else are you gonna do? Right. Well, you know, the funny part is this is the fourth or not fourth. This is the third issue in a row or so where Batman has been. In this case, it almost seems like he's joking, but complimentary of Booster Gold's intelligence. You know, the first time Booster appears, Batman's very complimentary of Booster's intelligence. He tells Booster again later how much they trust him. Booster gets lots of compliments from Batman in these early days. I think everything's going to turn probably in issue eight. I can't wait to find out where it all turns around. I don't <laughs> think we have to wait as long as Kahui, Kahui, Kahui. At this point, it's still fun to see Booster in that position where he's not a complete joke. And uh, it's, it's different. Now, speaking of that, Batman does have a complete jerk line. He says, Martian Manhunter can take care of himself but the rest of you i feel like i have to nursemaid it's like whoa and beetle has an equally good comeback it's like that makes us feel great he's like enough joke he's like wasn't joking dude exactly exactly you're a dick (laughs) (laughs) and it sort of continues the trend from last issue where people started to call out batman for being an an a-hole i mean they they said it because he was treating captain marvel horribly last issue and uh beetle called him out on it mr miracle was thinking about quitting because he thought bat how ridiculous it was between batman and and guy gardner and it's just it was getting to be much so so yeah, I, I think Batman, as you said, Batman's a dick. He's, he's not the kind of leader you'd want to follow. And next issue, that's going to change. But by the same token, he may not be a great leader in terms of morale. He knows the calls to make. Yeah. Because when Gray Man throws Canary and, and Booster up, he makes the call. Scott, you grab them. Martian Mayhunter, don't hold back. Which is also a little dickish because, come on, Batman, can't you pull that one punch stuff? On Captain Marvel? Oh, no, I don't think he's going to be able to pull that off, sir. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Batman can do a lot, but he's not going up against the world's mightiest mortal. Yeah. So what do you think of Captain Marvel when he's possessed by Gray Man? God, that looks great. Yeah. There's the one shot when he comes leaping down from the top of the building. And that was just one of the moments that grabbed me because it, and especially now in the digital coloring, mm-hmm. it's his costume so vibrant that it, it's terrifying. It's oddly because here's this bright costume and this horrible face coming at you. Well, the eyes. Oh, yeah. That effect works perfectly. And they don't use red. They go with yellow, which makes you would think red would be the default. No, no. Yellow is a little bit more terrifying. Yep. So you're reading the digital version right now, right? I'm reading the digital. Correct. And I, are you reading in a guided view, which is panel by panel? Or are you reading it as a page at a time? Right now, I'm a page at a time. Well, guided view is the way to go, man, because each little panel that McGuire does is beautiful. And when it blows up to the full size of your reader, these little panels, mm-hmm. it's, you see so much detail that just blows you away. You know what's weird? And I don't know if you if this is your experience, but with the J these JLI reprints mm-hmm. for some reason I feel like the guided view has more work put into it it could be it feels like it focuses and pulls back a little bit more and just is more loving towards the art it's quite I mean you know you got to think about it these people who are doing the programming they're fanboys like us and mm-hmm. it's quite possible I mean this series is so popular that it might have got some special attention because so, it is it, it's a stellar read it's really really powerful uh, I was reading it earlier just getting ready for this while I, my daughter was trying to go to sleep <laughs> she looks over because you know I just told you we'd had the talk about Captain Marvel Shazam at dinner she looks over and she goes daddy why has he got white hair is he old now <laughs> I'm like I, I was like well it's gray you know what honey never mind go to bed <laughs> it's it's not worth explaining honey it's really complicated <laughs> but he does look terrifying absolutely terrifying and uh, then the fight so so it's so knockdown drag out it's beautiful <laughs> I was gonna so uh, what do you think? Martian Manhunter versus Captain Marvel. So, you know, obviously Captain Marvel doesn't have, at this point, since he's being controlled by the Grey Man, he probably doesn't have the... the, the... I'm betting he doesn't access to the Elder stuff, like Wisdom right. uh, uh, wisdom of Solomon, things like that, but... He doesn't have the fighting, you're he doesn't dealing have the with fighting kind of... 
prowess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah, but he's definitely got the raw strength. So what do you think of the fight? With with it in this fight in this version, it's phenomenal. Except for there's one punch that just bothers me. Okay. Martian Manhunter looks like he's spreading both arms out, like he's hit him with both hands. I'm like, I don't think that works. Oh, I see. Looks like he's doing a double backhand or something. Yeah. Looks like a Kirk, Kirk I, from Classic Trek kind of move. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Other than that, it's it's. I mean, just that punch Captain Marvel gives to to, to Martian Manhunter's stomach oh. makes me hurt just looking at it. Ironically, it says Spock. That's what I was about to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's a back Spock and crunch. Oh, it is it is vicious. I'm wondering if this is intentionally Kirk-like. I'm gonna see if there's a double fist to the kidney somewhere in was here. This, was Captain Marvel shirt get torn? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think I don't see it. I don't see it. Mm. It's a great fight. I love the sucker punch at the end when Martian Manhunter. Uh, <laughs> first of all, Captain, uh, I'm sorry, Martian Manhunter just got the crap beat out of him. He really did. He took a lot of pain, and he knows that it's not his friend doing this, but still, it's got to hurt. So do you think? The, do you think the punch was sort of a little bit of on purpose? Like we realize Captain Marvel's normal is like, screw you, or do you think it was uh, completely accidental? It was accidental. Martian Manhunter would have some sort of baseline psychic registry. He would know if it was Billy in there. All right. But yeah, he has taken a lot of pain and and. One of my favorite bits, the runner-up for my Bwahaha nomination, okay. is Marshall Mahander getting cra- – just basically crashing down the road and just kind of sitting there going, I'm not amused. Yeah, yeah. Like on, on – ironically, reminded me of Marvin the Martian. There you go. Appropriate. Oh, that's funny. That's good. Almost <laughs> as funny as Blue Beetle earlier. Except funnier. <laughs> I had lots of runner-ups. I don't want to show my hand as for what my favorite is yet, but Black Canary had a lot of great ones. Like, when they're looking for the Creeper, she's like, maybe he went to go see his analyst. I love that. <laughs> when they finally find the Creeper, he, he's uh, he's being a total jerk. She goes, what the hell are you doing up there? He says, the Watusi? Stay right there. I'm coming up there to break your legs. <laughs> it's just She just keeps coming with these great lines. There's bits in there about John Wayne. She cracked me up in this issue. And it, and it makes me that much sadder that she leaves the book shortly after this, but it's almost like there's a little hint here, because Mr. Miracle says to her, you remind me of my wife. And if you look later on, you know, she leaves the book, Big Barda, Fire and Ice. Basically, it takes three people to replace Black Canary on the team. But a lot of the same sort of humor that Black Canary is delivering here comes out of Big Mar- Barda's mouth later. See, I wasn't sure. I, that that line threw me off because I don't see Barda in Dinah. Maybe Scott was hitting on her, like suggesting a well, three-way. She, well, I, whoa! <laughs> Normally, I would expect that sort of line to come out of my mouth, sir. So I'm impressed that it came out of yours. But uh, the way she's throwing attitude when they're flying back where she didn't want to be rescued. She wants to be her own person. She doesn't need a man to save her, that kind of thing. That's very Barta-like, at least the uh-huh. the, the Giff and Dimatteis Barta. You know, it, it is sort of representative of that, so I'm okay with that. And if nothing else, it just made for a fun joke, you know, where they say they pity him. Yeah. Well, you, you were out, we were talking about the fight, and Fate mentions that Martian Manhunter is using psychic attacks simultaneously with physical. Yeah. Blew my mind, because I've never seen I, this era of Martian Manhunter like that, that he would hit him on both levels. Right. And I don't know that I even really processed that until this read-through. Like, I'm sure I read it when, oh, okay. It just kept going in previous reads. But now that, you know, when you, when you have to really sit here and dissect an issue and spend more time thinking about it, I, that really struck home and was like, wow, that's really cool. Just in, mm-hmm. in Martian Manhunter is probably doing this on purpose. It's not like he just, he hits Captain Marvel and, and he's getting feedback. Martian Manhunter's doing that purposefully, using his telepathy to attack at the same time. And it's just, wow. I mean, Martian Manhunter is such a utility player with so many different powers. It just makes for a really, really cool battle if you think more about it. Speaking of uh, just a random note, The Living Daylights release date was June 27th, 1987. So actually would have been on theater screens right around this time. 
Yep. And we, we talked about that last time, actually, because Chris was mentioning how it was, because, you know, it would have been a month earlier, was saying how uh, we were saying how Vermont must have got an early screening of it. Either way, you should, you should probably feel bad for Vermont. <laughs> <laughs> it all turns around with Goldeneye. I don't care what people say. I like that movie. I'll, I'll back that up. Thank you, sir. I had Famke Jansen. Oh, there's, there's no go, There's no bad part of that. Yes, it did. Now, I realize you have the digital version, so you're not going to be able to see the page numbers here, but something seems to be going on on page 18. I don't know quite how to explain it. It's the one where Creeper lands on the Gray Man's back, and then Dr. Fate <laughs> erects the bubble around them. The art here, if someone told me this wasn't Kevin McGuire, I would believe them. It does not look like Kevin McGuire art on this page. It almost looks like someone had to fill in and do this page. Yeah, yeah, and especially if you go back and forth, mm-hmm. Dr. Fate does not have the same level of detail. Exactly. Just on the next page, on page 19, you see Dr. Fate's helmet, yeah. and it's stunning. Here, it looks very traditional Bronze Age Fate. Many, many gray mans. That's stuff of nightmares. But I, I do have to say, on page 18, uh, it's time to award the O-Face Award, uh, and this episode <laughs> goes to Mr. Miracle on page 18, and his look of shock when he sees all the gray men coming toward me. He has a, a very large emotional response, so congratulations, Mr. Miracle, on your O-Face Award. Wait, what What? What did you think I meant by that? I just mean his mouth isn't a perfect O, you sicko. God, Dave, get your head out of the gutter, all right? Oh, well, maybe you did different strokes for different folks. You had to go there, too. Really? Oh, strokes, nice. Classy, classy, Dave. It's a family show, please. So, Well, it's, it's classy like Hal Jordan in this issue. <laughs> <laughs> like he's late for a doubles game of tennis at the country With club. sweater. And his sleeves rolled up. It cracked me. Now, I got it. Man, it is really artistically done very cool. I love how it's just, I mean, Hal's name's in the discussion. So there's no mistake that, you know, you're not getting fooled. But I do love that you can see right there in the foreground Hal's ring. It, the mm-hmm. way that Kevin laid out the page is really, really cool. Because it's, you know, you see the big building and then you just see back to the background. But you see the ring just sitting in the foreground. So you immediately know you're dealing with a Green Lantern. And uh, it's really clever. And... <laughs> And it, uh, do you feel differently in this read through about Maxwell Lord than post Infinite Crisis than you did at the time these issues were coming out? Well, I read this in retro. Uh, my first issue of Justice League was number 42. And so wow. I came to this and read the trade later. Now I, now, I read the trade in order, so I didn't even know where this was going. I thought, what's going on? Why is Max wee? Why is he evil? I don't understand because I know Ma- I knew at that point Max was a good guy. So I didn't understand where this was going. So obviously it's all leading to issue 12. And there are certain hints, I suppose, of you could think of Brother Eye and all that. But I just choose not to think about that Infinite Crisis crap. Are, are, you, are you a fan of what, what happens to Maxwell Lord there? I wouldn't say a fan, but it was definitely – it was it was an inspired turn, and it wasn't completely out of character. It was just the next level of Maxwell Lord. I would disagree. I would say it was out of character. Now, again, you got to take these first 12 issues out of con, out of the picture because of what happens with issue 12 and the big reveal of why Max is doing what he's doing. After that, Max is manipulative, certainly even with his powers at that point. But to manipulate the whole, to, to say that all this time he was manipulating the Justice League, purposely making them ineffectual, and then to shoot Ted in the head? No way. Absolutely not. I cannot buy that that would have happened, that that's in the same universe. It just, it just doesn't process. You mean the guy that left his boss at the bottom of a cavern? Well, again, that's pre number 12. <laughs> Because after number 12, everything changes with Max. He becomes a better person. Now, I would expect if Max had been manipulating everything, I could maybe get on board with that. It's the shooting the Ted part where it gets to be a problem. Now, if he had just taken Ted hostage and locked him in the Brother Eye satellite, maybe I could have gotten on board with it. But the straight-up murder of Ted, I can't buy. Because he was the JLI was his family, too. And at least the way he was written in this book. So that was too much of a retcon for me. That was a bridge too far. Ah, Fair enough. I think that's a fair viewpoint. 
and you've just raised the ire of everyone who listens to the show probably by supporting it. So I didn't say I supported it. I just said it's it's a valid viewpoint. Oh no, I think I pretty much I heard you cheering on uh, the death of Ted Gord. That's kind of what I heard, that, or that, that might be what goes in the outtakes. Hmm. Wait, cheering the death of dead a uh, Ted Cord? Dead Cord. There you nice. go. See, just run with see? that. See, showing your hand. We know who we know who you are now, Dave. Oh, you're getting hate mail. I'm just saying. Well, they have your email address, so that's fine. <laughs> Um, all right, so Dr. Fate, he has finally had enough of the gray man, right? Couldn't he have done all this earlier? I mean, like, I get that he was waiting to make, you know, thought maybe there was a little bit of redemption for Dr. Fate, but really, I mean, I mean, for the gray man, but after all the chaos he's caused, all the damage he's done to this place, all the people who had their dream essence stolen throughout Stone Ridge, I think Dr. Fate really pulled the trigger on that a little too late in the game. Well, he's like Roger Rabbit. He can only do it when it's funny. <laughs> That is completely nonsensical, but I will accept that answer, <laughs> sir. That will that will work. I am on board with that. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, I mean, sometimes you have to accept those types of, of plot holes for the overall to work. Yeah. Because if he had just done it earlier, what are we going to be reading? Yeah. Well, obviously, yeah. You just accept for the story. But he's, at that point, when you find out Dr. Fate's been, you know, laying low all this time on purpose, it was just like, what? Come on. <laughs> Kevin McGuire sure does draw a pretty fate, though. My goodness. Yeah, he does. Well, I think that is going to sort of cover the body of the issue. Now, in the letters page, uh, I do want to mention it here. It does talk about this being the last issue of Justice League, because obviously next issue it becomes Justice League International. Ta-da! Very exciting. And it mentions... Spoilers. <laughs> and it mentions... Oh, actually, dude, they've been, they had been spoiling this for months. Like, yes. who's who issues that <laughs> we've been, we covered on the podcast that were published long before this were saying Justice League International, as if the team already existed. So I would be interested to see where they first you know, leaked that and how early it had gotten leaked, because clearly they were they were priming everyone for it, which sort of makes sense. I mean, if you're going to make that big of a change, you don't want to just spring it on somebody. You know, it's interesting to see how that, that sort of marketing machine cranking even back then. But the, another thing in the letters page, they do mention that the next month, so this would be in, in line with issue number seven, there is a poster that will go on sale, and I believe it is the Class of 87 poster, which is that gorgeous one where Max is sitting down and Black Canary is sitting down and the whole team's standing in between, and Oberon's holding a little sign, this is Class of 87, and we've got the red curtains behind them. I love that poster. I don't actually have one. I really want one. It's a, it's a, it's a real joy. Beautiful thing. I, I don't know if you've seen the poster or not. Isn't it? It's the final page of next issue, right? No, actually, I thought it was. Okay. Actually, um, it's funny you should say that. For the longest time, I thought that was it. Max clapping, you know? I thought that was it. But it's actually a different art that McGuire did specifically for the poster. It does include Captain Adam and Rocket Red, because it's the team po- at the end of issue seven. But uh, it is actually a different uh, piece of art. It's really nice. In fact, if you oh. go out to the Facebook page for just Justice League International, blah, ha, ha, podcast. The top banner is taken from there. It's a recolored version of it with, with a little more vibrant colors, and the background's been cut out so it's white. But that is essentially the same pose that is used in the poster. It's a great, great. That image. is good. I do see it, and I love that Guy Gardner's got the little – he's got his the, the sign language sign for I love you. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think maybe it's, a, it's supposed to be something else, probably, but could be. For those of you that haven't read this run, Guy Gardner is going to give you a treat next time. <laughs> For about a year, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so in picking up from that, here's the interesting thing. I mentioned earlier the bat symbol, right? How uh, how Kevin McGuire has got it down now. Because in previous issues, the, the number of little phalanges or whatever on the bottom wasn't quite right. Well, it's correct here, but I have seen the original art for that poster. And interestingly enough, Batman's symbol was wrong on that poster originally and was corrected to have the correct number of little scoopy things in the final version on the poster. It's interesting to see that and makes you wonder at what point did this get 
fixed. Like in here, maybe it was corrected here as well. I don't know. But as I always say, by 1989, no one was ever going to draw that symbol wrong again. It just wasn't going to be allowed by DC once the movie hit the screens. But beautiful poster. Be watching eBay for it, folks, if you don't own one. It's, it's really a nice treat. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Dave, why don't we talk about the house ads in this issue? Now, I realize you're reading the Trade Collected Edition. However, you've seen the house ads that are in here, the ones that are worth talking about. So, we'll start right off with Slash Maraud. <laughs> you know that old book everyone loves. Everyone's got this trade sitting on their shelves at home. I don't remember this at all. I don't remember <laughs> this ad. Oh, really? Oh, wow. You would think this would stand out. Yeah. Well, let's set the stage for everyone. It's a black and white ad, except for the, the logo of the book, which is in red. It, it says, Everyone on Earth dies in five years let's party slash maraud by doug mensch and paul galassi it's a new deluxe format miniseries in shocking color which is ironic because it's black and white this is coming in august suggested for mature readers and the art is gorgeous honestly it's really 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 impressive art drawn very nice in the foreground is a guy who's pulling out a gun he looks you know all ragged he's i gotta assume he's the main character i haven't read slash maraud he's pulling out a gun he's got a bottle of whiskey he's obviously you know lived a hard life behind him is humans and aliens mixed together in a very crazy, hedonistic kind of orgy party. And the reason I remember this was because this this would have come out in 87, and I saw this ad in many DC comics at that point. It's probably in Firestorm as well. I don't know. And there's this very sexually sexualized woman on a trapeze in a uh, leopard print bikini. There's another woman in what could possibly be – it's either like leather lingerie or dominatrix outfit. I don't know, whatever. But at the tender age of 15, I saw this ad and thought, wow, you know, the world's going to end. Everyone's having sex. That is the greatest idea ever. Th this should happen. You know, at age 15, that sort of makes a lot of sense to you. So uh, this ad sort of permanently burned into my my memory there. Explains so much. <laughs> it's all Slash Maraud's fault. Everything <laughs> that led up to me becoming irredeemable came from this ad. By the way, not everyone really thinks I'm irredeemable. I had a friend who described me as the Diet Coke of evil, so I don't know that I'm truly as irredeemable as I, like <laughs> I am. One calorie, just not quite evil enough. <laughs> Moving on, uh, the next ad is full color. Uh, actually, why don't you tell the folks home about this one? This one is Doc Savage, and, and the t it's basically a dark-haired man sitting in a what looks I mean, Sam Spade detective agency with a pistol in his hand, smoke wafting off of it. Doc Savage, he's not who you think he is, and it, this a series I need to track down because it was written by Denny O'Neill and art by Adam and Andy Kubert. Except who's this dude in the cover? Right. Because Doc Savage is the man of bronze. Well, he's not who you think he is, <laughs> clearly. Clearly not, no. Well, he's got tennis shoes on. He's got a modern-day phone on his desk. And again, the black hair. So it's definitely something different. I mean, I guess he could be interpreted different ways. But that, that it, if I saw this image without the, the copy, would not put together Doc Savage. Oh, never in a million years. Yeah. it's uh, <laughs> that, is, that is the big sticking point for me, too. It's like, okay, isn't he famous for being blonde? Right. <laughs> Finally, the other ad. And this one is actually in the letters page. And it's just, it's, it's the tiniest little ad. It's like maybe one inch wide and maybe three inches tall. It's this itty bitty little thing. It's a vertical ad and it says, the new Firestorm, the nuclear man. And it's got a vertical shot of Firestorm and his hair is just flowing, his flaming hair is flowing out everywhere. And it simply has on the bottom in bold black letters, know him. Like K-N-O-W, know him. Which is very fascinating. This ad also ran in the Firestorm issues that month because Firestorm went through a huge change at this point. This is where it went from being the traditional Ronnie Raymond and Martin Stein to becoming the first different iteration of Firestorm, which is what we call the Blank Slate era. I might have a little bit of knowledge about this. I do do a podcast for Firestorm and Aquaman, and I ran a Firestorm blog for 
oh gosh, uh, how many, seven years now. Um, this you act- are a big Howie Long fan. I know, well, there's a lot to talk about. So, uh, <laughs> I couldn't get enough of him. This ad, I stared at this ad for hours as a kid because at this point they showed this right at the end of the the big uh, storyline so you didn't know what was going to happen with Firestorm you knew he changed but you didn't know what happened and then it says the new Firestorm know him so, what does that mean what does that mean I gotta know and I sat there and stared at this in fact I have a sketchbook in the attic where apparently I drew redrew this ad as a kid and wrote that exact thing the new Firestorm know him I redrew the whole ad at like a I don't know a 20 by 18 size sheet of paper because I was that obsessed with this ad and I love Firestorm's hair in it it was just very exciting because Firestorm was going to change and it, it generated the, the goal was to generate some buzz basically Ostrander was told you got about six months to generate some heat on this book buddy because the sales were starting to decrease and he managed to do it and this this was a huge step in that direction Shag we're about to have a, a five-level American tale moment because somewhere at the same time I was staring at this ad too I, I, I thought that this was a question mark know him uh-huh. like I guess I don't but I was fascinated because his his hair as you mentioned is everywhere where it was normally just a nice torch on the top like a Bunsen burner. This was, yeah, this was like a 90s hair metal version <laughs> on fire. <laughs> but it, it's just gorgeous. Yeah. It's a really nice image. I don't know who did it. Um, I mean, Joe Brzezowski would be the obvious culprit, uh, because he drew a lot of fire, he was drawing fire from the time, stuff like that. But quite honestly, this looks too good to be Brzezowski. Uh, unless he lifted it from somebody, which he's famous for doing, I'm finding out, which is sort of frustrating for me. But, uh, it's a really, really nice picture. And, and even considering the size too, again, it's teeny, teeny, tiny. What, we're, what Dave and I are looking at is a, a reproduction of it, and it's about three times bigger than it really is in the comic. So we can we can really see the detail. Yeah. Well, Dave, it is time to move on to one of my favorite segments in the show, something I like to call... Character Spotlight. And this is where the guest will be asked to share some thoughts on one of the characters from this issue. It, it's not really an origin recap, but more about where these characters were in the DC Universe before coming into the JLI, and what kind of impact the JLI had on their career or their lives during or afterwards. So, Dave, why don't you take it away? Why don't you tell us a little bit about the Big Red Cheese? Captain Marvel, yeah. Um, well, Captain Marvel was not originally a DC character. Most of this you probably know he was a Fawcett character. He was, for a long time, the Fawcett character. Part of the Marvel family, had Mary Marvel, Captain Marvel Jr., which is ironically the darker of the the books. Uh, But eventually what happened was uh, Fawcett folded. They're like, we're done. Uh, DC was sweating him because Captain Marvel was outselling Superman. Unfathomable. Oh, it's true. Eventually, Captain Marvel went dormant. And apparently, based on some of the stuff I read in, I believe it was the Fawcett Companion, anybody that had worked on Captain Marvel, if, if reporters went to ask something of them, they're like, we don't want to talk about it. Because mm-hmm. they were that scared. I don't know what the whole legal situation was, but eventually DC leased the characters. And by the time the crisis happened, they owned them outright. Well, this is a rebooted Captain Marvel. And originally, John Byrne was slated to reboot him. And there's even designs and pages he has on Byrne Robotics. But Byrne walked when, basically, he didn't get his way. Mm, and ma- so we got that. yep. <laughs> we got uh, – well, what we got was Legends, of course. But uh, chronologically for the character, we had Shazam! The New Beginning. So it was Roy Thomas and Tom Mandrake that rebooted this. And you saw a lot of uh, – some big changes, some small changes. For one thing, Billy is in control of Captain Marvel. He's got all these powers to him. So you actually have a 15-year-old kid in a grown man's body. Hmm. Uncle Dudley was actually his uncle instead of a con man. 
Uh, so was Savannah was also his uncle. With this version of Captain Marvel, you have a very few appearances, sadly enough. Right. You have the four issues of Shazam: The New Beginning. You have Legends. You have his appearances in JL. Well, JL. Right. For the most part, and then he has just a short bit in Action Comics, and then essentially this version of Captain Marvel goes away after that. Because by the time you see him really in any capacity, it's Panic in the Sky under Ordway. Uh, Jerry Ordway would go on and reboot it completely. And that was the power of Shazam, which I love dearly. Love it. <laughs> Not that there was anything wrong with Roy Thomas and Tom Mandrake's version or, or the version you see here, but Ordway was a guy that got it. And in fact, that's one of my things on my bucket list was to have a piece of Shazam art by Ordway. Mm-hmm. So I actually bid an eBay auction for uh, one of the, the art from one of the posters, his original preliminary drawing of Captain Marvel punching Captain uh, pardon me, Black Adam into a diode, mm-hmm. to a transformer. Turns out I was actually bidding against Kyle Bending, of all people. <laughs> I end up winning this, and not only did I get that, it's framed next to the actual poster, but Ordway draws Captain Marvel on the packing slip. <gasps> oh, so it came from Ordway himself. Came from Ordway himself, yep. Did, did you also frame like an angry letter from Kyle Benning right next to it? Because you should. No, we didn't find out about that until I, I guess started on his, when we talked about Shazam on his King Size Comics podcast. That's a great episode, by the way. King Size Comics, yeah. Giant Size Fun, Power Shazam episode with both you and and Kyle was a lot, a lot of fun. Basically, if, if, if you want me to do a podcast or just get in a windowless van, have me talk about Captain Marvel. <laughs> That's how I got you here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Make no mistake, you're not going home, so. I, I, I so love this character because there's so much. It's, it's the original Harry Potter is what it is. Mm. It's wish fulfillment. If you want the powers of Superman and you're still a kid, here you go. And it, it was just the Fawcett stuff was a lot of fun. The Ordway stuff really took that that same elements and turned it into something tangible for the 90s. Now, help me out here. A New Beginning was before this or after this? Just before this. I did look that up. So it it had just completed. All right. Now, as I've read in interviews, Keith Giffen and J.M.D. Mateus didn't know that they were only going to be having Captain Marvel for a little while. As far as they thought, they thought they had him completely, and they were having a blast with it. Then they found out as uh, somewhere around here that he was only on loan. So when mm-hmm. he gets yanked from this book, was that – I mean, if Byrne had already lost his sort of his option on it. What what was the oh, – Byrne had – yeah, Byrne hadn't had an option. Yeah. What happened was um, – Was it Action Comics uh, Thomas – Action Comics Weekly, and then if you read that, there's a tease for an upcoming Shazam series that never happened. Oh, that's why they pulled so, it. Okay. Yeah. So the plan was he was going to get his own series. And, I mean, you saw DC doing guest appearances. They didn't know what to do with this character for a long, long time. Right. Well, it's hard. Because it was, yeah, he's so similar to Superman, yet at the same time so different. Mm-hmm. So did Roy Thomas write the Action Comics Weekly as well? Yes. Okay. And I believe it was four installments. And it's it, it deals with Captain Nazi. Hmm. Okay. As one day you will hear on, on Chad Bokelman's, or I'm sorry, little Chad Bokelman's. <laughs> I mean, I think he's learning to shave now, so um, we could talk about the Action Comics Weekly on, on his Action Comics Weekly podcast. I love taunting him. It's like an old pastime for me. <laughs> uh, but if you want to hear about Superman and Shazam, oh, what did I just do? <laughs> if you want to hear about Superman and Captain Marvel, our friend Kyle Benning, who I bid against on eBay, sorry, Kyle, <laughs> does have a Superman and Captain Marvel Power Hour, awesome. which is such a great idea. I wish I'd thought of it. Um, <laughs> And you can also find the Shazam cast, which was something that just made me so excited. When, and it was, Shag was the one that, that put the beacon out for that. I love that show. That's fantastic. It's a lot of fun. Really enjoy that one. Jeff does a great job on that. 
Now, let me ask you, in closing on the character spotlight, do you feel like Captain Marvel benefited from being, having the JLI spots, or do you feel like it more took him off track of where Roy Thomas might have been able to take him? I think he, he would have benefited. I don't think editorial knew exactly what to do. So I think I think this was a great opportunity for the character. He was a fun fit yeah. for this group. And I would love to have seen him hang out with some future members such as Captain Adam. That would have been a blast. Yeah. And, and I wonder if Guy – I don't know if they would have made Guy the nice guy if they were didn't get rid of Captain Marvel. Because that would have given you two white bread characters on the, the series, and that may not have worked. That may be why they made Guy that way was because they lost Captain Marvel, so they wanted to still have someone play that sort of role in the, in the, in the series. Maybe. That makes a lot of sense. I'm just glad they did that, though. I know. It's so funny. It's so funny. And I lament this quite frequently, but can you just imagine what this series would have been like if Captain Marvel had stayed on the book longer? I mean, getting into, like, the 20s and the 30s of this series when they're fighting Despero or whatever, wherever you get down the line, how different those stories would have been with him on the team. Just would have oh, Dave Mateus could have made something great because how do you, as a, as a 15 year old kid with a certain degree of naivete, try to wrap your mind around something like Despero? Oh, the things that could have been. All right. Well, we've been circling around it all night talking about the jokes. We need to get to this, folks. It is time for the coveted Pwahaha Award. And this is where we nominate the funniest moment of the issue, or at least what we feel like is the funniest moment of the issue. Both um, myself and my esteemed guest, and I use that term loosely, will pick a moment from the book, and one of them, only one of them, is going to walk out of here with the Bwahaha Award. So... Dave, why don't you tell us what your nomination for the Bwahaha Award is? Well, in terms of, of the funniest moment, I love, and it stayed with me since then, the moment just after Martian Manhunter knocks Captain Marvel through the wall and realizes what's happened, mm-hmm. and the dialogue is basically, is that you? Uh-huh. Did I hurt you? Uh-huh. <laughs> and he just passes out. <laughs> And it's like, do you, do you just spray some Windex on that? <laughs> but I, it still cracks me up because not only is that natural dialogue, it's naturally funny. Yeah, it works well. It is very humorous. It is not what I picked, but it's a good one. So we're gonna we're gonna have to duke this out to see who wins. Mine is you got to go back a few pages. It is when Captain Marvel has thrown Booster Gold and Black Canary up in the air, and she's falling. Booster and and Black Canary are flying through the air. Booster goes, um, Canary, I'm not really up on everyone's powers. You can fly, can't you? And she just very casually, not even like exclamation points, just goes, no. And he's like, no? She's like, no! So he, she's falling. <laughs> Mr. Mary, and that's not, that's not actually the moment, but that's just leading up to it. So she's falling. She has no way to, 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 to survive this if she doesn't get out of it. Mr. Miracle has been dispatched by Batman and he's flying up. Here's the blah moment. He goes, hang on, Canary, I'm coming. She says, go away. I can save myself. He's, how? I haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> he says, don't worry. I've got you. But I don't want to be got. I hate being saved. What if I promise to let you save me next time? Swear? Swear. Then okay. This once. I love that moment. I just think that's hysterical where clearly, you know, sudden death is about to occur and yet she refuses to give up. She's not going to give up. And then the whole bargain she makes with Mr. Miracle where he promises she can save him next time just cracks me up. That's my nomination for the Blahaha Award. <sighs> Now we got to decide who wins. See, I will I will argue this. I think Black Canary could have saved herself. I think she actually could have pulled that off. Yeah, probably true. She could use a She'd sonic found a way to buffet the fall or grab a tree and do some amazing gymnastic slide down the tree or something. I, I would agree with that. Like the Flintstones brontosaurus slide. There you go. There you go. But if, if you've ever been knocked the F out, yeah. that's, that's an interesting ordeal. <laughs> and Captain Marvel just got knocked the F out. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, sir, you have talked me into it, and that doesn't happen very often, sir. I think we are going to award the Blahaha Award to Captain Marvel and his... Uh-huh. So, Captain, enjoy your award. It is as tangible as the laughter we give you, sir. Congratulations. <laughs> well, I do spend a lot of time with lawyers, so... <laughs> This is kind of strange, but Dave, before we start recording, um, I believe a couple of guys stopped by your place to install the JLI teleporter. Is that accurate? Yeah, and I was going to mention that I'm not entirely comfortable with this arrangement. Oh, it's, it should work perfectly fine. I just thought it'd be better to have you beam in here to the embassy and we could finish up the show together. Was it actually me beaming in or a copy of me? Because I don't, I don't, how, how do you bring a soul over to an embassy through teleport? Look, Dr. McCoy, we don't need to go there, okay? Just step on the damn pad, teleport in. They do it all the time in the comic. It should be perfectly fine. Just beam on over and we'll finish the episode. Come on. People are waiting. Can we start with something small? Okay, okay, okay. All right, and energize. Oh my god. Um oh jeez. Um okay. Tell you what folks, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to get Kilowog on that and uh we're going to try and get Dave reconstituted. If not, the Dave's Daredevil podcast is going to be renamed probably. I'm thinking. Uh anyway, tell you what, I I'm well Kilowog's working on that and getting that squared away. I'm going to go ahead and read your listener feedback in a segment that I had to call Justice Log. Now, before we get into your comments, we do have some news to cover. I promised earlier in the show when I was talking with Dave... Oh, I remember Dave. (sighs) I hope he's okay. Anyway, we were talking about the Justice League Breakdowns trade paperback, and this is from the solicitation on Amazon. It says, Justice League Breakdowns Book 1 paperback, scheduled to be released February 14th, 2017. I mean, really, what could make a better Valentine's gift than that, folks? And according to this, this covers Justice League America 53 through 60 and Justice League International 29 through 36. So that covers the entire run of the breakdown storyline. So I don't know why this was labeled book one. Not really sure. Maybe they actually are going to split it across two books. I mean, if they do it as just one solid book, it's going to be 352 pages. And that's no small amount of pages, folks. We'll have to see. Some other news we've talked about in previous episodes. Back Issue Magazine was doing a great all-jerks issue. Well, it is on the shelves now, folks. So back issue number 91 from Tomorrow's Press, and uh, it features a fantastic cover by Kevin McGuire, and it's the Batman Guy Gardner one punch from a different angle. So it is absolutely hoot. Find your hard copy, folks, at your local comic shop, or get a digital version directly from Tomorrow's. Last bit of news worth mentioning, at a convention recently, uh, a convention called Terrificon, they did a roast of Mr. Keith Giffen. You can find it on YouTube on the channel for The Angry Geek Show, and uh, it's a bit of a hoot. There's some good stuff in there now. There's some profanity, so if you're at work, put some headphones on, folks. Now, as we're about to get into your feedback, folks, just want to remind you, if you want to participate on social media, you can. Go ahead and go out on the internets, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, leave some notes, use our hashtag PoundFWPodcast. It's an easy way for us to find your messages. If you want to leave comments on this issue, you want to talk about Captain Marvel and Martian Manhunter fight, if you want to leave some nice memorial comments for Dave, I mean, get well wishes for Dave, that'd be great. You can find me on Twitter at JLI Podcast, and you can find us on Facebook as Justice League International Blahaha Podcast. As I said earlier, really what we're trying to do is build a community of online JLI fans, so please join in the conversation. Now remember, if you're outside of the United States, let me know. We'll assign you the appropriate embassy. And it's good to know that too, because if you're an international listener, we have to filter iTunes properly to see your reviews. 
Speaking of which, let's get on to your iTunes reviews, folks. And a huge, huge thank you to everyone that's done this. It really helps to raise the profile of the show and attracts new listeners, because there's a lot of people out there that love the JLI comics back then, but I have no idea this podcast exists. But by adding iTunes reviews, it does help those people find them if they're looking for comic podcasts. So, first up, I want to thank Tom Panarese from the Pop Culture Affidavit Podcast and the In Country Podcast. And as a thank you for these iTunes reviews, I'm going to read their entire review on the air. Tom says, great look at a great era. Shag has done it again. This is a great look at a superb era of the Justice League, and he takes us back to the mid-1980s with a fun look at a seminal comic. Even if you don't have the issues in front of you or have never read them, you'll feel like you're there. Give it a listen. You'll love it. Well, thank you, Tom. Very kind of you. Then we got a nice one from Terrence O'Neill, who's the co-host of the Robin podcast, Everybody Loves the Drake. And he writes, great podcast. I was and still am a huge fan of the JLI, JLA, JLE run in the 1980s and 1990s. It was my favorite monthly comic book. This podcast is a perfect companion to rereading those classics. In the 1980s, comics were starting to become more realistic, and for an older reader. To many creators, realistic meant more violent or more realistic crimes. For example, instead of Batman trying to solve a riddle on a giant typewriter, he'd be trying to stop a mass murderer. But what the creators of JLI did was make a more realistic comic by making the relationships between the characters true to life. Our heroes laugh, cry, love, hate, fight, bicker, compliment, and find ways to work together. By having characters grounded in an emotional reality, the reader was free to believe in all the amazing adventures those characters would go on. The host of the podcast, The Irredeemable Shang, hey, that's me, uh, he does an amazing job taking the listener back to a time and place when the comic first came out. I feel like I've gone back in time when I listen to the podcast. The synopsis and review of the issue is done in a fun, lighthearted, yet very intelligent, insightful way. Oh, well, thank you, Terrence. He must be talking about me. Certainly not my co-hosts. Up next is Sean Ross from the Pulp to Pixel podcast. He says, love this podcast. I first fell into the JLA at the tail end of the Jerry Conway era. My first issue was 217. I loved the JLA as a kid because they gave me more heroes for my money. Soon after I started collecting JLA, Conway pulled the gutsy move of ending the satellite era and transitioning to JLA Detroit, which, much to the embarrassment of my comic collecting friends, is my favorite era of JLA. When the Justice League Detroit ended in an abject sadness with two deaths, I was floored. However, the ad for the Justice League promised the story would continue. I have to say, though, that as a young collector, the Justice League did not click for me at first. I loved McGuire's art, but the stories were too different than what came before. I couldn't figure the book out. Was it funny? Was it tragic? With the gray man. I wasn't used to these kinds of swings in mode and tone. The book clicked for me with the moving day issue when it finally embraced its blah-ha-ha-ness. As much as I love this series, Shag Show is adding even new layers. Hearing this and his co-host's views on the issues bring back my own memories of the book and reminds me of how revolutionary this book was. In fact, this was the halcyon period for DC. Post-crisis, DC took the leash off and let the creators tell daring new stories. This was the era of JLI, Tim Drake... Wally West is the Flash, Animal Man, and the Coming of Sandman. DC was the actual house of ideas at this point. I especially love that Shag and Company review other Justice League characters' books at the time. Every time they branch out of those other books, it reminds me to reread the tragically underrated Captain Adam run. It also drives home that Mike W. Barr belongs in the pantheon of Batman writers. The show is a ton of fun, has a strong undercurrent of nostalgia, and makes the listener feel like he or she is at the table with friends. Well, thanks, Sean. I really appreciate that. And man... You are right on about the creativity coming out of DC at this point. And you named some of my favorite characters. You know, obviously the JLI, but Tim Drake, Wally West, Animal Man, Sandman. Oh, these are all comics I loved back then, and I still love to this day. Our final iTunes review comes from Rob Kelly, my podcasting life mate. You can find Rob as part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. He does shows like the Film and Water Podcast, the Pod Dylan Podcast, the Power Records Podcast, Aquaman and Firestorm Podcast, the Who's Who Podcast. I gotta take a drink of water. Oh my gosh, this is too much to say. 
Okay, where was I? Whew, man. Aquaman and Firestorm podcast. See, I took a drink of water when I said Aquaman. That's funny, right? Anyway, the Who's Who podcast. He does the Aquaman Shrine website. He does a Treasury Comics website. Seriously, guys, all this guy does is sit at his computer. He's starting to look like Captain Pike from the Menagerie. I think the state of New Jersey has officially classified him as a shut-in. Anyway, he writes, If you love the JLI, you need this show. Shag's love of the JLI is not to be denied. If you're a fan of the classic JLI book, and who isn't, then this show is a perfect companion to those classic comics. Give it a try. You'll be hitting subscribe when you're done. Wow. Rob said something nice about me? This might just be a sign of the end times. Hmm. Well, at the very least, it's the end of our iTunes reviews. All right, up next, we're going to move on to your comments from our website, email, social media, stuff like that. Now, as we go through these, I'm just going to pull bits and pieces of what people wrote. I can't possibly cover all your feedback, folks. You guys are amazing with the amount of comments you left on the website, and the banter going back and forth between you guys is hilarious. I absolutely love it. Bear in mind, these comments are going to be pretty specific to the issue of Justice League number 5 that we covered, the infamous One Punch. And our guest, Chris Franklin, from the Supermates podcast, will tackle the feedback from Justice League Annual Number 1 on a future episode. First comment comes from Paul Hicks from our Australian embassy. He's part of the Waiting for Doom podcast. We talked about the Gray Man and how we were just shocked that he never turned up in the Sandman series. Because Neil Gaiman just seemed to touch on so much DC history with Dream Messing. Paul goes on to write, Neil Gaiman did touch on the Gray Man indirectly. The Seasons of Mist arc had Dream becoming the custodian of the key to hell a valuable bit of psychic real estate, as it was described. He is petitioned by gods and demons, including the Lords of Order and Chaos. The Lords of Order offer Dream a stash of Dream Essence from the newly dead, but their offer is basically ridiculed by Dream as being a useless thing to collect. Ah! So it is sort of a vague reference to the Gray Man without actually calling it out. Very nice. Thank you for sharing that, Paul. Up next is Zoom Yukonori. He works with CBR in the line it is drawn and his own blog, and he's known for his custom Who's Who entries. He wrote, Chris is correct. There was a Creeper backup series in pre-crisis. It ran in The Flash, Volume 1, number 318 to 323, written by Carl Gafford and illustrated first by Dave Gibbons and later by Chuck Patton. The last page of The Flash 323 states that The Creeper will return as a DC Maxi series by Keith Giffen. That may be what Chris was trying to remember. Up next is my buddy Dr. Ange from the Supergirl blog, Comic Box Commentary. Ange says, I thought the idea of the living daylight to the theater wasn't necessarily a plug for the movie, but instead a sort of contrast to the situation. The Gray Man, a dead guy obsessed with Gray, who sucks the dream energy out of people, is the exact opposite of something with living and light in its title. Hmm, very interesting, very insightful. Lastly, gotta love the Creeper. This guy rules. Shag is right that the Creeper did appear in World's Finest book. Ditko wrote and drew those stories, and there's definitely a workplace comedy feel to those plots. However, Ditko had them in more of a 50s office setting than something more modern. The Creeper seems like a perfect project for Giffen. His secret origin story set up a great new wrinkle for the origin, explaining the insanity. He also did a DC Comics Presents Crisis crossover with the Creeper as well. I did a little further research, and it looks like Giffen did get another couple stabs at the Creeper in a a few issues of Eclipso, a Showcase 93 story, and a short story in the Wednesday Comics Collection. And and really, in the 1980s, he is a perfect fit for uh, Keith Giffen's particular brand of insanity. Heard my buddy Bradley Null. I had specifically called him out when I was talking about the Sandman questions with uh, Gray Man. And and Bradley says, you mentioned me? And poof, I respond. And sure enough, Bradley came in and gave a lot of great feedback on Neil Gaiman's Sandman and the connection to the Gray Man. Thank you so much for that, Bradley. Then we heard from Michael Bailey, who's a previous guest on this show and a host of the Views from the Longbox podcast. He says, all right, time to come to John Byrne's defense, which is something that can be hard to do, but every once in a while it must be done. He says, I've read Action Comics number 592 and 593 a bunch of times. And while there's a scene where Superman and Barda are being filmed, and there is an odd exchange at the end of the issue where Superman says, it seems we, uh... 
I don't actually think the porno actually happened. At the beginning of issue 593, the director of Sleaze's movie is trying to get Bart and Superman to steam up the room, and they seem to be having trouble with following those directions. And they're fully clothed, which, I've heard, makes for bad porno. It would even, <laughs> it would even make a bad Cinemax movie at 3 a.m. when your parents are asleep, and it's summer, and you're, and you're a teenager, and well, you get the idea. <laughs> well, thank you, Michael, for clarifying that. Jimmy McGlinchey from our Irish embassy chimes in to say, probably where the confusion exists was that Sleaze first did a video of Barta dancing in the sewers. This is the video where Darkseid shows Mr. Miracle at the start of the second issue of that storyline, and it's Scott's reaction that others have taken to thinking he's watching Barta and Superman together, when in fact he's watching Sleaze's video of Barta dancing. Yeah, that's pretty clever. Good call, Jimmy. Or from Jeff Nettleton, he says, That was a different issue. For me, I'm not normally a fan of horror and supernatural, so the Gray Man wasn't exactly something that drew me. However, the character's interaction and different components of the story still had me hooked. This was also the first Creeper appearance that I enjoyed. I saw a couple Ditko stories in the 70s and didn't care for them. Jeff, you and me both, buddy. Then we heard from Rift from the Australian Embassy, or as they call him there, the Kilowog of the Australian Embassy. He says, Another great episode. Anyway, I had no idea that the One Punch even existed until the infamous Paul Hicks showed me his copy. I couldn't believe it. I thought it was great. I totally agree the expression from Canary coupled with her line, and I missed it? I'm so depressed. I agree that that was brilliant. You know, uh, it's nice to hear and gratifying that someone who didn't read the JLI back then, someone who doesn't have an established history with the book, who's reading it nowadays, or recently at least, still got as much enjoyment out of that as us old-timers did. So thank you, Ref, for sharing that. Heard from Jimmy Glinchy again. He says, Irish Embassy calling, wondering why after Chris Franklin's visit to the main embassy, all the embassies were sent this leaflet from Human Resources entitled, Why is it wrong to take leg warmers from Black Canary? Very strange. Anyway, great episode, Shag and Chris. The highlight of the course has to be the one punch and insert the sound effect here. Nah, I don't think I will. Sorry, Jimmy. Interesting discussion about why other team books did not follow the JLI route when it was so popular. The only series where I can think of that type of dynamic was shown, with some humor too, was another Keith Giffen team book, which was the Acronym Legion. While the JLI was a group of friends or workmates hanging together, Legion was a group of workmates with a boss from hell. Vril docks the second. You could almost argue that Ostrander's Suicide Squad had that type of vibe, too. Just got the first three trades and rereading the series and forgot how funny the mystery of the cream pie thrower was. Who couldn't love seeing Amanda Waller being hit with a pie? Well, that Suicide Squad series is absolutely brilliant. I agree. I don't know that it had the same workplace comedy vibe, though, as JLI, but Legion, acronym Legion, yeah, there's a little bit in there. That's a good point. Thanks, Jimmy. Tim Price wrote in to say uh, how incredibly well executed the one-punch <laughs> gag was. He says, first, there's the cover, which was absolutely fantastic. And he, he, he goes into detail in each of these, but I'm kind of just cutting bits and pieces. Then he says, the first issue of it, number five, there's no Justice League except for Dr. Fate. Then, Guy Gardner and Batman face off. The posturing leads up to them turning the page, and bap, one punch. <laughs> but remember, the panel was printed on the top of the following page. No hint, no spoiling. You had to physically turn the page to see what happens. Surprise factor through the roof. The coordination with the printers had to be spot on, or it could have been ruined by the wrong placement of an ad page. Wow. Then you contrast it with Beetle and Canary's reaction, and lastly, the team just moves on to business. And uh, again, he, he goes into more description about all this, but yeah, it really was the joke was set up and delivered perfectly, and they just carried through the whole thing. Her from Noah Abe, last time we did feedback, we talked about somebody had left some comments and had, they just had mysterious hyphens. Well, it turns out Noah's our man. So now I guess he's going to be forever known as the mysterious hyphen man. He says, one punch. With the current popularity of the Japanese One Punch Man character, I'm surprised I've yet to see anything pairing that character with the very special moment so prominently featured in this issue. Someone should get on that. Stat. Then we heard from Dead Robin from the Pulp to Pixel podcast, and he says, It's been a lot of fun to walk down JLI memory lane. 
I also love to look at the other books on the market at the time that involved JLI members. It's funny that Beetle and Booster's individual books were so laden with melodrama and mediocrity when they became such shining stars of the JLI. But even though their books didn't work, they soared in the JLI. This issue in particular begins to show the promise. Beetle's One Punch line is classic, but it's his posture and facial expression that clinch it. I can still see the unbridled joy this moment brought him. This was really the moment when the book started to click for me. I understood in this moment that I was supposed to dislike Guy, laugh at Beetle, and be afraid of bats. I was young, so it was my first time experiencing a comic where the characters were different enough that I wasn't supposed to like or trust all of them. It was a nice precursor to what life in the working world would be. Then I heard from my buddy Mark Lax, he says, Booster Gold! Over the years, I've grown fond of Booster. Until Justice League, I wasn't very familiar with the character. But after reading the book over time, I came to realize Justice League is what made the character and eventually defined him. The early Dan Jurgen stuff is great, but it's this book where everyone fell in love with him. You know, I think I'm going to have to agree with you there, Mark. Jose Rivera wrote in to say, This issue cemented my appreciation for Ken McGuire when I first read it. I first saw McGuire's art on a cover of to a Superboy TV series comic when I was a kid. Then I saw what he was doing in the pages of JLI. This is one of my favorite covers. The orange background makes everything pop. When I was first getting into the series, this was the issue that made me see how talented McGuire is with faces and acting. From Black Canary's agonizing disappointment to missing guy getting knocked out, to everyone's expression to the Welcome to Stone Ridge line. I got it. I got why I love this series. Why Kev McGuire's work was so outstanding. I hadn't seen anything like it before, and it made everything about the book work even more because the characters felt real. Heard from Chris Lewis from our UK embassy, my Justice League origin story, since you didn't ask for it, goes as follows. It was always difficult to get a hold of US comics over here in the UK. As kids, we'd occasionally get a hold of the odd copy of Green Lantern and Flash, and I had two or three issues in the 1989 Giffen Fleming Aquaman miniseries as prized possessions. Ooh, those were your prized possessions? Ooh, I'm sorry, Chris. Anyway, he goes on to say, but it wasn't until I got to university in 1990 and had access to a Forbidden Planet comic shop that I really started buying DC Comics on a regular basis. I began with Green Lantern, I think issue 6 of the Gerard Jones Pat Broderick series, but it wasn't long before I got into Justice League America. Issue number 52. There's that number again. With its Fight of the Century cover was my first. Then he goes on with a few thoughts from issue number 5. He goes, there seems to be loads of references to David Letterman and DC Comics letter columns around that time. I always believe that it was because the DC offices were either next door or across the street from the theater where Letterman used to record his show. Do any of your listeners remember this? You know, that's a great question. Now, Letterman was really, really into the pop culture at this point, so it may have just been him bleeding over from that. But that's a good question. Does anyone know where DC Comics offices in the 1980s was in relationship to Letterman's studio? Hmm, I'd be interested to know. Then he goes on to say, I also regret that Captain Marvel didn't stick around for long. His solo page is great, and one of the very few examples I can think of a scene where a superhero expresses any sort of self-reflection or doubt in their abilities. It's entirely in keeping for the young Billy Batson to do so, and the effect is to humanize the Captain. Such a shame he wasn't around to develop with the team, although I do love that Jerry Ordway series. Then I heard from Jorge Castillo, because because of this podcast, I binge-read most of the JLI and enjoyed it immensely. Then he goes on to say, I met Keith Giffen a couple months ago at a con in Miami, and he was an extremely nice guy. When we spoke about Lobo, one of my top three favorite DC characters ever, he made a comment about how they screwed him up in the New 52. And, of course, we spoke JLI. I said something like, you guys really seem to be having fun with these comics. And his response to me was, roughly, I think they let us have too much fun back then. <laughs> it was great knowing they were having such fun writing these comics as we 
the JLI community enjoyed reading them. Then heard from Marcus Soroyas. I'm sure I said that wrong, Marcus. Terribly sorry. He goes, loving the podcast. Justice League of America was one of the first comic series I followed. I started the series with issue number 184. Oh, man, that's a good one. Uh, and I read all the way through the Detroit era until the tragic end. My first view of the Justice League came in the second issue of History of the DC Universe by Wolfman and Perez. The lineup looked fantastic, and I could not wait to see this team in action. Sure, we didn't exactly get the team pictured here, and the sitcom direction of the book caught me off guard, but the one-punch showdown in issue number five finally got me fully on board. The series fully deserves the classic status it holds. Now, what Marcus was kind enough to share here was a panel from History of the DC Universe, issue number two, that features the JLI. You know, it's drawn by Perez, so it's gorgeous, but the interesting thing is it came out two months before the first issue of Justice League. So the lineup isn't quite right, and it, you know, obviously it changes as we go, and includes the people you would expect. Batman, Guy Gardner, Black Canary, Blue Beetle, Dr. Fate, Mr. Miracle, Martian Manhunter, Captain Marvel, and Dr. Light, and also includes Captain Atom. Now, if you really think about this particular lineup, if this had been the lineup they'd gone with, and if those people stayed around, that would have been an insanely powerful team. Oh my gosh. It is a gorgeous picture by Perez, no doubt about it. Then I heard from Dean Jones. This is really excellent JLI callback in the Green Lantern Rebirth storyline. No spoilers, but it involves Batman, Hal Jordan, and Guy Gardner, and it was a long time coming. Huh. So, folks, be sure to pick up Green Lantern Rebirth for that. Heard from the Saturday Detention Podcast from our Australian embassy, and they say, Can I just say, Jeanette Kahn and Paul Levitz are the greatest people to ever be involved in comic books ever? Um, yeah, yeah, you can, Saturday. Then I heard on Facebook from someone who's identified as De Baish? Bausch? I don't know. I'm terribly, I'm, I'm sure I'm saying this horribly wrong, so I apologize. Anyway, they said, thought you might get a kick out of this pick. I snapped from the Baltimore Comic Con back in 2011. This convention was the first time Keith Giffen, J.M. DeMatteis, and Kevin McGuire had ever attended altogether. There was also a JLI panel with all three of the gentlemen hosted by Bob Greenberg. And he shared a photo of some cosplayers and included Martian Manhunter, Booster Gold, Black Canary, and Guy Gardner all in their Justice League International outfits. It was great. Thank you for sharing that. Then I heard from David Ace Guterres, executive producer of the Pod Dylan podcast. He says, my favorite bit of comic acting, Beetle reaching under his goggles to wipe his eye. Completely changed the way I saw superheroes. <laughs> and Maggie Schaefer followed that up by saying, I only just noticed that on my second reading of the story today. I appreciated that too. Love that moment. Heard from Jonathan Hames. He says, having just read Justice League Quarterly Number 2 with Mr. Nebula last night, and then this one leads to some bizarre headcanon about the Lords of Order. Well, we're a ways off on the JLQ books, but that'll be interesting to see what happens with the Lord's Order down the line. Heard from Dale Dale. Before I even listen to Episode 5, all I have to say is POW! Right in the kisser. Well, nose in this case. The punch that was heard round the world. Yes, it was, Dale. Got a nice comment from Geek Brain Popcast. Says, one of my all-time favorite books and one of my new favorite podcasts. Aw, well, thank you very much. Heard from Michael LaCroix from the Canadian Military History Podcast. He says, definitely the one <clears throat> we've all been waiting for. <laughs> Heard my buddy Luke Dobb from Dobb Creative. Now, Luke uh, went to a convention recently and snapped a photo for me of a Guy Gardner cosplayer. But Luke got up on a chair. He borrowed it from someone, stood up on a chair, and took the shot looking down at Guy and having the, the cosplayer look up at him. So it's almost like a little mini recreation of the uh, Justice League number one cover. It's really cool. Thank you for sharing that, Luke. Heard my buddy Jared Albrecht. Now, if you remember, Jared is our exercise guy. He's been jogging and listening and swimming and all these things, listening to the podcast. He says, over marathon distance now. Finished the 27th mile and partway into episode 5 with the awesomeness that is the Just League International podcast. Oh, thank you, Jared. I think he was actually uh, in the Olympics listening to the show while he was doing that. But anyway, uh, turns out Jared is also a really great artist. He posted on Twitter some great sketch cards he's been doing. He's been in a JLI mood, so he did one of Blue Beetle, Booster Gold, and Mr. Miracle. Each one got their own card, and they all 
Pollock Awesome. By the way, you can find him on Twitter at Yard Sale Artist. Really, really nice artwork. Heard from Brad Dade. He uh, he wrote in to follow up on the comments we made wondering if the Gray Man ever appeared in Sandman. Really appreciate that, Brad. He went as far as to include the page, though, from the Sandman Season of Mist trade paperback where they actually address that. Heard from Engineer. He says, love the episode. I really like how you go panel by panel. I need to get the trade paperback. My original collection is lost. Oh, lost? Oh, jeez. I'm sorry, Engineer. Yes, definitely pick up the trades or get the digital versions where you can do guided view and literally read it panel by panel. It's so good. Heard from Codeman. He says, I'm a sucker for ads anyway, but this is great that I found 1980s M&Ms. He posted a photo of Just League number 5, the ad for M&Ms that was in there, and he posted uh, also right right next to it some bags of M&Ms he just bought. I guess they're doing some you know retroactive sort of bags, and they had some bags that were labeled the 80s M&Ms. So really perfectly synced up well. That was really nice. I want to take a second, folks, to thank all the people who shared our show on their social media timeline, meaning Facebook or Twitter, and they either retweeted or shared or whatever, took the time to promote our show on their own social media. It's so appreciated, folks. I know this is going to be a long list of names. I say it every month. It's going to be about 50 people. However, these folks really do deserve our appreciation. They're helping to support the show, and they're just as much a part of this JLI community as the rest of us. So, my thanks to... Aaron Head Moss, Andrew in Belfast, Bill Beer, Brad Dade, Buck Rollette, Callum Nauer, Chris Franklin, Christopher Warden, Chuck Rodriguez, Clint Robinson, Closeout Comics, Code Man, Coffee and Comics Blog, Comic Reflections, Dallas Gibson, Daniel Budnick, David Ace Gutierrez, LTO Gus, Engineer, Federico Hernandez, Geek Brain Popcast, Jared West, Jared Albrecht, Joss Lu, Keith G. Baker, Cord Industries, Longbox Crusade, Lucas Garrett, Martin Gray, Michael Bailey, Michael Peacock, Mikey Flash, Not Guano Man, Pat Simpson, Paul Hicks, Paul Riches, Rob Kelly, Rolled Spine Podcast, Ryan Daly, Silver and Gold Podcast, Siskoid, The Hammer Strikes, Tim Kelly, Tim Price, Trekker Talk, Two True Freaks, Ultron is My Elvis, Van Z, War of the Words Pod, Warlock Thanos Podcast, Warlord Worlds, Willie Yarborough, and Xenozoic Xenophiles. My thanks to all of you for your support of the JLI Podcast, folks. Your feedback is such a crucial part of the show, and the community of JLI fans we're building together is fantastic. So please keep those cards and letters coming. The best way to do that is to go to our website, which is firewaterpodcast.com slash JLI. Find the entry for this episode. Leave a comment there. You'll find there are tons of people having discussions there. Uh, comments might range anywhere from 30 to 60 different comments. People are commenting on each other's comments, adding information, joking around, having a good time. Everyone is welcome. We're even nice to Diablo Frank there. So head on over there, folks. And if you'd rather, you can also go to Facebook. Again, it's Justice League International, Wahaha Podcast on Facebook. Or on Twitter, it's JLI Podcast. And, of course, you can send an email, which is jlipodcast at gmail.com. My thanks again to Chris Franklin for appearing in Episode 5 of the show that we covered in the feedback just now. Now, we're going to take a quick podcast promo break. And when we get back, hopefully, fingers crossed, Kilowog will have rescued Dave from the teleporter accident. Take the Earth's mightiest heroes, each an invincible champion of justice, and band them together to assemble the legendary Justice League of America. For 261 issues and three annuals, the DC Universe was defended from threats on Earth and beyond by this legendary team. Operating from a cave in Happy Harbor to a satellite orbiting 22,300 miles above the Earth to uh, Detroit, Justice's First Dawn, a classic Justice League of America podcast, will follow the League through all their evolutions. Please join your host, Mike Peacock, as I seek to cover all of the issues of the classic pre-crisis Justice League of America series. 
Through the magic of the JLA transporter, each issue will be randomized, with special episodes covering a complete story arc if needed. Along with the issue coverage, we shall also look at what the then-current members of the Justice League were up to in solo appearances in other comics for the JLA Cover Month issue. So do not hesitate to activate your JLA signal device for Justice's First Dawn, a classic Justice League of America podcast on classicjla.podbean.com or by subscribing through iTunes. Okay, folks, we're back from break, and yes, if, I, if I'm being told here correctly from Kilowog, he was able to pull Dave out of the pattern buffer. Apparently, we have approximately 74.2% of a Dave. Dave, are you there? I'm there. I don't think my colon came through. I'm terribly sorry about that. But it, that is kind of optional, though, isn't it? Uh, it's not one of the optional parts, Shag. Okay, well. It's not an appendix. I, I That I still have. I'm a comic nerd, damn it, not a doctor, so I don't know this stuff in and out. Terribly sorry. But if all goes well, you're back in your house. Do me a favor. Don't get on that teleporter again. Is that okay? I hadn't planned on it. I'm going to send those guys to go pick that back up. But yeah. Well, folks, uh, now that Dave is all back in one piece, I would like to thank him for appearing on this episode of the show. Dave, uh, why don't you tell the folks at home where they can find you on the interwebs? Yep, I'm usually on Tinder. No, wait. <laughs> I'm usually on Two True Freaks, which, I mean, if you know anything about Two True Freaks, it's basically the same thing. New episodes of Dave's Daredevil podcast are coming this October once I get my act together. Um, leading up to episode 100, which there are plans in place for. Yay! And basically, I'm I'm usually around the stop and sip um, on Friday nights. By choice, right? By choice. By choice. Totally by choice. <laughs> well, thanks again, Dave. I really appreciate you being here. We, we've actually been trying to make this happen for a long time. Dave and I have never recorded together, yet we have written into each other's shows numerous times. We've actually been on one episode together, but due to internet problems, we couldn't actually speak to each other. So this this was a big first, and uh, quite honestly, it's probably the last. I'm not letting this happen yeah. again. So. Folks, come back next month when we cover Justice League International number seven. Yes, that's right. We're going international with the title, folks. Finally. And we'll have another guest host with me to help cover the issue. Who will it be? Sorry, you're just going to have to wonder for a month. Dave? Well, whoever is willing to slum it and, and hang out with Shag, but, you know, that kind of mystery. Apparently, there's certain people that are willing to do that right now. I'm just saying. It was Captain Marvel. You got me in a windowless van once with it. <laughs> Say goodbye to these nice people, Dave. Bye, nice people. Thanks for listening, folks. Until next time, I'm Shag. And I'm Dave. And you've been listening to the JLI Podcast. Want to make, make something, something of it? it? I kind of do want to make something of it. <laughs> Too Batman. I've always wanted to work with. Holy moly, the Triceratops! Sorry, Batman, I, I don't want to miss the dinosaurs.